Hello and welcome to episode 175 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And you're chipper today. Yes, I am. <laughs> and How can I not be? I got a brand new console this week. I know, you're going to be well, talking about last it. last week, actually. Yeah, you got a PS4 Pro. Yeah. And this is the Random Town Podcast. We're going to then talk about the PS4 Pro. Yeah. And no, but we and are in our, actually. in our slow transition into the Random Sony Podcast. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You're talking about it, but we're not moving away from Nintendo. Because there's a lot of Nintendo to discuss. No, no, of course not. I, we can never move away from Nintendo. No, even if we, but, but we even can. if Kimishima can, even if he can retire, we cannot. There's more than enough room to extend our family, but we'll still be... It's like it's like Sony. It's like my Sony PlayStation Four Pro has a Nintendo as its last name. I <laughs> the, the pro the pros its middle name. Yeah, it, he got, it got adopted by a Nintendo first family, uh, like the PS3 before it. Right. Well, I I am which actually, is actually getting sold. Wow, that's kind of getting kind of dark. Wow. Yeah, you're selling your children. <laughs> with the family metaphor. Wow. We adopted this child, and now we're selling him because he's too old. See, that's the funny thing is, like, as much as I love Sony consoles, um, I have no qualms like selling the previous one. Like, I had my phone with the with my PSP in college, then I sold it. I had my phone with my PS3 now, but now I'm gonna sell it. But the Nintendo ones, even if like I know I'm gonna put the Wii U for storage, I know I'm never gonna sell it. So PlayStation is your fling, and Nintendo is your committed relationship. And sometimes you have a fling on the side, and some people will judge you for that, and some won't. But you always come back to the committed. That's relationship. an oddly accurate. Metaphor. You're cheating on Nintendo with Sony. <laughs> now let's bring out the let's bring out the parent. No, let's bring out the child. <laughs> more like the more like just spicing things up. But, yeah, yeah. But it, it's I actually am curious because at the end of the show for what we're playing, you're gonna be talking about like what it's like as a Switch owner to have a PS4 and compare and like you know kind of like the Wii sixty three Xbox three sixty Wii days is kind of parallel. So I'm curious yeah, what you have to say about yeah. that. So nice way to switch things up. Haha. Uh-huh. But uh, we also another thing that switches things up is cardboard. And I don't know about you. Actually, actually, I do know about you because I know you don't own it. But uh, I've been folding a lot of cardboard. While well, you've been playing God of War in glorious 4K, I've been going super analog and playing with mulch paper, basically. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of Labo. And um, when not folding cardboard, I've been keeping up with some of the surprising news on Nintendo's latest financial briefing. Uh, I mean, you know, we always get a taste of what they're doing next with Switch and the like. And we're going to be talking about that in depth, trust me. But I didn't really expect things like Kimishima to step down or Nintendo to pivot their smartphone game strategy or, you know, some of the other stuff they talked about. So we're going to talk about all that in this episode, which, by the way, we never said we're calling it Now You're Playing With Cardboard because Labo. And I guess you played with the PS4 box in order to open it. You had to, like, play with the tab on it. So it's relevant to you, too. I touched your piano. That's. That sounds inappropriate, <laughs> but yes, you did. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do all that, and of course, there are timestamps over at ramtone.com on the blog post for this episode. If there's anything specific you want to hear, like if you just want to go full Sony, we have a timestamp for PlayStation. If you want to go full Labo, sit tight because it's coming up in a sec, but yeah, it's all there. So without any further ado, uh, I think we really ought to start this episode with Labo. Like usually I do my impressions at the end, and you do your impressions at the end, but not only is Labo like a critical role, a critical part of Nintendo's plans for Switch in the next fiscal year, which we're going to talk about in a bit, but also I want to talk about it first because like, wow, this silly cardboard thing is actually really, really cool. Like, it is really impressive. It, I am a full Labo convert. Now, to be fair, I always felt it was kind of a cool idea, but I didn't think it was enough to like justify buying it. Like, there's not enough there. It's, it's cardboard, whatever. Except then, in like the day or two before it's released. You know, there are these glowing impressions in the media. People started to talk about all the cool stuff they did. The Verge built that electric guitar 
out of cardboard and then did rainbow connection like a whole music video and i i started to kind of warm up to like maybe one day i'll get it sure okay i mean are you sure you wouldn't have bought it anyway because you feel like you have to as i wasn't a, going as, to. as a big nintendo fan that that's well i eventually that's my theory is i mean i never bought we fit i never bought that's true yeah like i don't own I, I don't own every nintendo thing so i was like like i don't own every nintendo first party release on switch hmm. i don't you own one two switch not me yeah. That that's commitment to Nintendo right there, spending full <laughs> retail price on one two switch. Yeah, but I feel like I mean, since we have it and we have friends mm-hmm. that come over here. No, honestly, the only reason I don't have it is because you have it and I play it here. But um, but yeah, in the case of Labo, I was just like on release day, it's just a sign I had to buy because there's a Amazon treasure truck right down the street from my office that just all they were selling were um Labo that day. And for those who don't know, the Amazon treasure truck is it's only in select cities right now, but basically they take this lunch truck looking thing deck it out with carnival lights and drive it around and usually and then they text you saying here's what's on the truck today and you go to pre-designated spots and pick up your order and usually it's just surplus supplies of like meat but there's like buy 14 ounces of ribeye and they just have a truck of ribeye and that's what they do but today they did or that day they did cardboard so so i you know i saw the truck and then immediately went over best buy and got the game there instead because it was 15 dollars cheaper so i only paid 55 point being Here's the thing about Labo. Wait, if you have Prime, wouldn't you get... No, you don't get a game. Uh, not from the truck. Huh. The truck was $70. But but here's the thing. But the truck is what inspired me to then drive two minutes to Best Buy and pay them less money. So thanks, Amazon. But but here's the thing about Labo. For all the talk of it only being cardboard or it's included games being shallow or whatever, what you're actually paying for is the experience that Labo provides. And that experience, to me, was both surprising... And how rewarding it was, and in surprisingly how deep it was. Like there was depth to this thing that you wouldn't think would be there. I mean, first of all, just from the second you open the box, like you realize Nintendo thoroughly thought this product through with with like every little detail and great attention to that detail. I mean, in my specific case, I'm talking about the variety kit. I only bought the Labo variety kit, but the unboxing experience is just really nicely done. Like you open it, it's like welcome, and it has like this whole laid out thing. You pop the cartridge into the Switch, and immediately, if you have the parental control app. You get a notification on your phone saying, hey, we see you have Labo. If you want to turn off the time limits because, you know, your kids are building physical things, here's how to whitelist specifically Labo. I'm like, wow, they, they literally thought of everything. Like, you don't even have to turn on the game. It just immediately detects Labo and sends you that alert. It's like a really, really minor thing, but it's just, you know, it's kind of like that attention. Detail. So I guess it goes without saying because I guess you need to buy the cardboard, but is Labo available at all <laughs> digitally? There's like no code or anything? Only a cartridge. Uh, that's really unfortunate because I feel like this is the kind of game that I would really not want to have with a cartridge. Or from my understanding, only the cartridge. Now you got me second guessing. Like I kind of wish like the box itself just came with a code instead of a cartridge so you could download it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess not everyone has the memory on their Switch to do so either way. But because like it's something you might want to do like for thirty minutes at a time, maybe between games or. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, like yeah, because yeah. it is kind of a pick up and play thing. You, I yeah, mean, you, you just know, want to always have it available, basically. Yeah, and 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 that's maybe the only thing they didn't think through with this because like everything else, like like I was saying, you know, just the way you open the box, even little things like so you open it and all the cardboard sheets are there and they're color coded by Toycon. They have art around the pieces, like little graphical flourishes and whatnot to kind of reflect what its theme is. Like the piano, you have to punch out what becomes the switch dock, and on that punch out is music notes and it turns out those music notes actually are a song that you can learn to play on the piano like everything's thought through it's, it's really impressive it's even like they even thought this one kind of is like really nintendo that, okay you with the piano there's a rhythm card where you could pop out little circles and then put it into the piano and it makes the percussion based on which circles you pop out 
But then, of course, if you want to change up cuts, you have to put your little circles back in, right? And these are like, you know, hole punch size circles. So what does Nintendo include in the Labo box? A small box you can build with the sole purpose of holding your punched out holes. Well, they give you a hole box for your holes. <laughs> a so hole a hole box for your holes. So like it's that sign of confidence and Nintendo thinking through all of it, minus, I guess, the download code, that, you know, it's kind of this indication that they themselves feel like they nailed this concept. And I kind of, I kind of agree. I mean, plus once you get going, like, there's not just the satisfaction of finishing each Labo as you go, each Toy-Con, I mean, as you go, but you kind of have these same little bursts of satisfaction you get when you're building Legos or something. Like, you know, you're building a Lego and then you make, like, the shape starts to come together for, like, I don't know, the front of a airplane or something. And you're like, oh, I see it. This is the airplane. Yeah. You get that exact same sort of little, like, oh, that's really, aha, uh-huh, kind of cool moment um, from Labo, too. Like, it really is very much Nintendo Legos. So if you like building Legos, you're going to love building toy cons because a lot of them get pretty elaborate, like the piano and the fishing rod. Fishing rods, fishing rods are interesting because there's all sorts of, like, not exactly pulleys, but there's all sorts of friction related, like rubber bands and levers. And piano, a little simpler in terms of the non-cardboard elements but so there's still the piano clicking one. noise on the fishing there's rod. literally a thing that like there's a piece you put in that does that cardboard no nah, it's like a i don't remember what it is but it's it's like a little it makes it's like a clicker it's like a thing <laughs> it's not a clicker but it's like it's a piece that is there literally to add the resistance and make the click interesting yeah like the piano the weights in the piano keys to hold the notes in place those are cardboard so you literally fold cardboard and put it inside the other cardboard and that gives it the heft but the clicker thing is Something a little different. Um, yeah, so for as much as it's like Lego, I guess Labo also has the added bonus of using the Switch as your interactive guide for the whole building process, right? Because you have an actual tablet you can work you can work with, and Nintendo completely nails that. Like, completely nails that. The instructions are on the touchscreen. You can use either the touchscreen or the face buttons to move between steps. You can do very Nintendo-y things. Like, if you drag the forward button across the screen, like stretch it out, it starts fast-forwarding in tandem with how much you're stretching it which just feels like, you know, very Nintendo. Um, all the steps are laid out in, like, a 3D diagram. You could pan around. You could zoom in, all with touchscreen swipes. I only take one hand, so if you're, like, actually holding the cardboard or building something, you can still do it. You can literally view any part of the process from any angle. And just to show you how, like, serious I am about this, if you have a Labo, try zooming in on the Joy-Con. It will actually go through the Joy-Con's outer plastic, and they rendered the, micro, the like, chipset and, the pro, you know, all the stuff inside the Joy-Con. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, like, it's really cool. And as you go through the build, like, the software tracks your progress. Um, It shows, like, an an on-screen ring for that that fills in as you do that particular part of the project. Then it shows you how many steps you have total. You can jump in and out of any step at any time. So if you want to pick up later, you don't have to go through everything again. Like, it's really well thought out. And weirdly, perhaps the neatest part of it for me was it has personality, this entire thing. Like, it's not just, like, cardboard sounds boring. Instruction books sound boring. But Nintendo... It, it has personality. Like, every time you pop in, like, or every time it tells you to pop a tab into a hole in the cardboard, it does this very satisfying little animation and sound effect. Every time you finish a little piece, it does a little da-da-da thing, and, like, the piece j- jumps around and dances. Like, it's very, you know, cartoony, since it is kind of kid-friendly, after all. But then all the instructions are also written with kind of a voice. Like, it's not just like, now insert this. I mean, it's this... It's a, it's instructions that make jokes. It's admitting that playing together 13 piano keys is annoying and tedious. It's... uh mocking itself and has to repeat instructions over and over like it's very you know it makes it more entertaining it makes it makes it feel not as tedious when you're on keyboard key number 12 of 13 or whatever I mean, they got to keep the kids entertained and the adults i mean it, it helped me i was like oh it's, it's making fun of itself and that the thing is that voice so to speak 
isn't just instructions. It's not like it's in the building section of Labo, which is called the make mode, but it's also there in three different ways in the discover mode, which is where the game actually has some edutainment value. That's where like it's where it's teaching you the ins and outs of the mechanics and the technology and how everything works and tells you about further things you can do with it. And the, what they do there is all of that is presented as a conversation between your me and three other characters. And it's like a chat text log and they just feed in and it's like half, you know, half the stuff is just those treehouse style jokes and puns and silliness and that sort of thing. So it's, it's very well thought out. And what discover teaches you and gives you access to is actually where Labo gets really interesting and more elaborate. Cause there's like the piano, for example, which has a standard mode where you can insert different cardboard knobs to change the sound, like a regular piano to a cat to an old man yelping, I don't know why, to uh, perhaps one of the core ones they call it acoustic, and it vibrates the Joy-Con in the pitch that you're hitting the key in. So if you put it on something, you can basically turn your Joy-Con into like an instrument, hmm. which is neat. But So that's all the standard uh, mode. But then as you go through Discover and its menus and learn all about what, how the piano works and what you can do, you unlock the studio mode, and that's this whole separate thing where you can manipulate reverb, you can change volume, you can add percussion, you can do wave, uh, you can do like wavelengths that you put in by cutting out cardboard in a certain like wave pattern. You put it in and it manipulates how the notes sound and all this other stuff. And there's a record button and there's a play button. You can literally compose and record full music with percussion right on Labo and then play it back or hook it into like an aux cord and record on your computer or whatever. Like it's very elaborate like the piano alone just blew me away it is so cool i can't i mean you played with it 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 is very elaborate hey we should call our episode elaborate that would have been better than now you're playing a cardboard but yeah it is really nice like and the quality of the cardboard doesn't feel doesn't really feel cheap either like it feels pretty sturdy and i don't know something about just seeing it in person just makes it feel that much more I mean, not to use the word again, but I guess elaborate. Yeah. Like when you're watching the videos of people building it, like it, like, it looks cool, it looks fun to build. But when you're actually playing it with yourself, you do feel that sense of wonder. Like, like how does this work? There's just stickers and one Joy-Con and it's all empty, but still somehow creates a working piano. Yeah, it's really cool. Nintendo thought of actually putting the lid as something you can open and you can look inside and see, oh, there's the IR and it's reflecting off the sticker on the back of the key and that's how it reads and each lever has its own set of stickers and all that. Like, it's really impressive. The amount of, I don't know if this is a thing, but the amount of cardboard R&D that must have gone into this is, this must have cost Nintendo a small fortune. Like, it took them two years to develop this, even though it's just cardboard. So, yeah, it's it's very impressive. And And to be fair... Uh, same with the fishing rod, by the way. Like, the way it extends and everything, really cool. But to be fair, I have yet to build all my joy or toy cons. Um, I haven't built the house yet, for example, so I couldn't say anything about how that monster raising game works. Um, and of the remaining toy cons, house included, there no doubt is less to them than there is to the piano. Like, you know, the motorbike, it has a racing game, and yes, it has a track editor. You can even just wave a to- uh, joy con in the air to draw your track, and it will, like, render it. But that, that's kind of it. It doesn't really offer the same like level of pre-made creative options as Piano does. Uh, same goes with the fishing rod. Like There's all sorts of fish to catch. There's a whole fishing main game and all that. But there's not much beyond that in terms of pre-made options of like using the fishing rod to do interesting, weird, creative things. And the reason I keep saying pre-made options is because the secret weapon of Labo, the thing that really takes it to this like super impressive level in my mind, is the Toy-Con Garage, which is basically like coding for kids. It's a giant input output editor of sorts that essentially lets you do anything you want 
using the technology of the Switch, using the Toy-Cons you have. So you can do some things that use the existing tools at your disposal, the Toy-Cons, and, you know, have, like, the motorbike handlebar can steer the RC car you build or whatever. But what's cool is you can also do, like, not that and just anything you can think of. So within, what, like, a day or two of Labo coming out, people are already recreating Game & Watch games. They're building bongo drums. They're making candy and dog treat dispensers. They were figuring out how to program clocks onto the screen or like turn the Labo garage interface into an interactive game of tic-tac-toe or like, I, I mean, the list goes on and on or like make a treasure chest that, that when you open a lid of a box, it plays the Zelda tune. Like it just goes on and on and on. And we have a list of some of them in a blog post link uh, for this episode at ramtown.com. But just go like look on Twitter or something if you haven't, cause there's a lot of really awesome Labo ideas are already out there. And if you kind of look at what the garage can do with what you're given up front as like pre-made stuff, as a whole, like it's it kind of justifies the price to me. I mean, the endless possibilities of the garage, if you're into tinkering and building, the pre-made options, the mini games, the building experience, all that seems reasonable. I mean, I got from you, Angel, like a year ago, a Lego Wally that was really cool, and I built, and I had a lot of fun with it. And if you know, it took me maybe five hours or something like that to build, and it was like what. It's discontinued now, so it's a lot more expensive. But at the time, it was like, what, 50 60 bucks, something like that, probably? Yeah. And Labo's $10 more MSRP, and you get definitely more build time out of it. I mean, the piano took me three and a half hours. RC cars, granted, only take like 15 minutes, but everything else in between, you know, every, every anything from 30 minutes to two hours. So add all together, you're already getting more of a build experience. Um, and then on top of that, you get the mini games, the surprisingly deep piano, the endless possibilities of the garage. All of which, in my mind at least, make up for the fact that, yeah, with Legos you're building something, but you get plastic and it's more preserved, while with Labo it's cardboard. But, I mean, Nintendo's giving free PDF outlines. You can print off your own your own new cardboard. You can buy the, pre, uh, the pre-cut, the I guess, cardboard sheets from Nintendo for not that much money on their store at Nintendo.com. Like, it's not – the pricing doesn't seem that absurd to me, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Hmm. And, like, basically – I don't know if this is something quite for everyone, but if you own a Switch, I encourage you to find some way to experience Labo. Like, it, it's as if a typical Nintendo experience somehow bled out of the digital world into the analog one and then just kind of has this whole neat magical feeling to it. Like, it's it's hard to... Like, I went from I went from going like, oh, that's a cool idea, I won't buy it anytime soon, to being a full 100% convert of Labo. And all it took was one cardboard piano. So... You know, as I touched on, now every toy con is has a deep, compelling software component, which you know you could argue is somewhat excusable. This is made for kids, but there's enough here to, that I would recommend the experience as a whole if you have any remote interest in it. Like, it's just really cool. Like Labo to me has completely redeemed the One Two Switch team because the guys that did One Two Switch immediately went to Labo, and this is like, oh, were they? Yeah, it's the same guys. It, actually, the Splatoon producer, Splatoon One producer, also was involved with Labo. Kind of random fact for you, but yeah, this this is a very cool thing like it's like nothing nintendo's ever done it's i recommend like i said maybe not buying it if you're not 100 sure if you're gonna want to build stuff or to go find ts but definitely like find someone who did and either steal one of their toy cons or like ask them nicely if you can build one or do something because it, it's very cool it's very different for nintendo hmm. so now nintendo just needs a lot of other people to agree with my perspective on labo and jump in i mean like what's your take you played with the piano are you any closer to buying this thing nope so i figured so why not even a little bit um, because they got my fill from watching your Labo piano. I mean, all ten minutes of it. I don't know. I, I think um, I don't, I don't know. I, I I 
you know what? I think it has more to do with the fact that I'm not twelve more inclined to build the stuff like that. Yeah, I because didn't... I'm not saying I don't like that kind of creativity stuff. I mean, I like animation. That's its own creativity stuff. But I, that's I like different. I know. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I think I'd rather build the jigsaw puzzle. See, I'm not big on puzzles, but I like yeah. this. I like this. It's you know what? You, you like freeform. And I like structure. This mirrors our game preferences. Because I like more linear gaming experiences in general. Yeah, because I... That's, that's interesting. Because my attitude toward this is, like, it's still... I mean, for me, personally, like, for a kid, I feel like this is amazing. And I feel like yeah. it should even be... I don't know, should be put in more homes and even schools if possible. But what's it called? But for me, personally, I guess because I know, like, oh, it's going to build a piano in the end and it's only going to do this... Like, it kind of makes me feel like, what's the point? It's like being told the ending to a game before you even play. That's an interesting But that's because I'm still seeing it like a game first. See, I'm not. I went in thinking Legos. Actually, I went in thinking nothing. I was like, like, I'm going to build a piano. Because even Legos, like, I could still kind of do whatever I want with them. The cardboards are, the cardboard sets, at least how you build them, are predestined to do, to be built a certain way. You can't freeform the piano in some other way. You have to build the piano exactly how they tell you to build it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But then you can... uh, a know, labo yeah. rate on it by yeah you can mess with stuff with yeah. the programming and the coding which is cool which like the even the cardboard yeah, the, the garage is where it gets more interesting I guess because that's when you could literally use your own cardboard creations mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the labo stuff in conjunction with other things but since the majority of the game is I guess these pre-built stuff I guess it just doesn't appeal to me as much no I get that and for the most part as much as I like the idea of level creators and as much as I keep telling myself, oh, I'm going to build something cool in them, I just never do. I love Little Big Planet to death. Never built a, well, I did build one level in the PSP one, but I won't say what it was. And sounds inappropriate. Oh, uh, it wasn't that inappropriate. I'll tell you off. I'll tell I you off air. I can guess. Um, <laughs> maybe, but yeah, like I never built any other more elaborate levels in that game. I never really built anything in Super Mario Maker. Never built anything in Wario. Well. Yeah, I never built anything original in Mario World DIY. It just followed mm, the tutorials. Yeah. Like, I don't know. No, see, I'm sort of the same way. I personally don't think I'm going to use the garage very much because I'm not that sort of creative I think after person. all those games that I did buy because they did have a, an actual game yeah. component to them. Yeah. Like, so this is mainly more the DIY part. I'm just like, well, hey. it is the game part, but it's the type of game you don't like where you know how it ends. Yeah. Which is fine with me. I'm fine with that. But yeah, no, I'm in the same way because like Mario Maker never made a level. DIY definitely didn't make any main games. Um... Smash Bros. never made a custom stage. Definitely made a few custom stages, but that's yes, because yeah. it doesn't take that. But uh, I remember playing them. But um, yeah, like I garage. What fascinates me is seeing what other people come up with. But me, I don't think I'll ever do much with it. I just like doing the preset stuff because I'm lazy mentally, <laughs> apparently. But I, I think that you know, for all Labo does right, Nintendo will have some hurdles to overcome if they want this thing to blow up in the way they're saying that they do. I mean, one is you don't something you don't necessarily think about until you have it, but like you need a place to store these things at least till you're over them and throw them away. Like the toy cons are kind of unwieldy because they're all weird shapes and sizes. Like the piano is actually rather large to just put on a shelf. Like it's a small piano, but it's big on a shelf. And the fishing rod, you know, that's two parts in a string, and they're very oblong and strange. So like, what what you do with them? Like you could throw it in a closet, I guess, but there's no good way to store it without like getting dust on the odd shapes. Like you can't really just. I guess you put a bag over it or like a plastic sheet over it. I don't know. It doesn't really they don't lend themselves to well, being. I mean, if you weren't a collector, you probably would have more room. I feel like. Yeah, maybe. I, I feel like I don't know. 
Maybe kids with families have like a nice little shelf that they could just put all their little. Well, what I want them to do is take that UPS store carrying oh, case and make it real. Did yeah, you see that? Case? I, yeah, actually, I was gonna say like if they, if if Nintendo, I guess, did think of everything, they would have create, they would have given everyone like a a build your own giant cardboard box that you could store all your Labo designs in, or like a Labo that's, storage. That's unit. literally what UPS store did. Did you see that tweet the other day? I saw that you made a tweet. That was a tweet of their tweet. It was, I... it was known as a retweet. Um, yeah, so basically UPS in a very Arby's-esque marketing move made a video where it's like, we see your, you know, we see what you're doing with, uh, cardboard Nintendo and well, we know a thing or two about cardboard and they made a whole rollerboard, like a rolling suitcase that all your Labo toy cons fit into. You close it, you lock the cardboard lock with a cardboard key and then you pull the cardboard handle and roll it away on wheels. And then the video just ends with game respects game Nintendo. Or something like that, but and um, didn't put a tutorial on how to make it. No, it was just a marketing thing. But like, that's what I want. Because if I could have a big normal box, I could put these all in and stick the normal box in a closet. Sure, but it's kind of like I don't really want to wedge the, these things somewhere because they're gonna get smushed because they're paper. I mean cardboard. Excuse me, they're cardboard. So you know, that's something though that I think won't be a huge hurdle. I mean, people were obsessed with and kept all those Wii accessories, the Guitar Hero accessories, the Rock Band accessories. Back in you know, the mid two thousands, they're all waterproof. To extent. But they also like, yeah, they're all waterproof. But for a number of years, people were fine with it. So I can imagine, I can imagine people being okay with Labo. They'll think about the. They'll run into the issue that I'm now describing only after they already bought. The the real biggie probably is convincing people that Labo is not just cardboard. I mean, you say it yourself. You really appreciate how elaborate and intricate and fancy it was until you saw it in person. And like I was saying, you're paying for the experience more than you're paying for just cardboard. Hmm. So it's a whole different value proposition than when you see a screenshot or a video and it's just like, he made a piano out of cardboard. He made a motorcycle handlebar out of cardboard. Hmm. It's really like, well, no, he made a controller for this game. And then he did other stuff with it too. So like that, that's the obstacle. And I think a lot of overcoming that's going to have to rely on word of mouth. Like my gut tells me Nintendo anticipates that Labo is going to be kind of a slow burn. Like if you look at early sales numbers in Japan, Labo was number one in Japan, 120,000 units sold, but that's only a sell through about a quarter of their initial shipment. And week over week, Switch sales during Labo week were completely flat, meaning it didn't, that Labo didn't like convert new people to Switch as much as it sold itself to existing switch owners so it's not quite doing what Nintendo wants it to do yet but nintendo they seem the impression i get is that they are anticipating that being the case like even in nintendo's own financial briefing their president uh tatsumi kimishima was saying that early adopters thus far are elementary school kids and their dads and and i love how he worded this game players who like creative activities so those are very <laughs> specific groups at that point um and both of them however are good at word of mouth or word of mouth. So, you know, it, it we could see it ramp up. I mean, the word of mouth is already in motion. We talked about the garage creations being online already on Twitter and whatnot. And Nintendo has actually launched a contest to further push these. If you're a Switch owner and you have Labo, you can submit custom Toy-Con mods and garage creations and Toy-Con decorations. And they will share them online and pick a winner. And they're really trying to drum up people sharing these amongst themselves and telling their friends and whatnot. So there's that word of mouth. And then separate from that, you mentioned you could see it like being used at schools a few minutes ago, right? Yeah. There's actually already reports coming out of the UK that school teachers want to have kids use Labo in the classroom, which of course will just hurt, will just like help to further expand uh, that kid audience that Nintendo sees as already being interested in it. All those elementary school kids and their dads. Now more of them might buy it, and maybe some non-Switch owners will buy it and buy Switches with it. 
So really, really, this whole thing is like it kind of reminds me of the soft launch strategy that Nintendo did with the Switch last year. Like Switch had the advantage of blowing up right out of the gate; they didn't really have to try much, but they still had the pacing set up and the marketing in place to kind of ramp things up into the holidays. Like we'll probably get a new Labo kit or two in the fall. I imagine it'll come out like October, November. Basically, how Mario Odyssey was the big boost for Switch going into the holidays. I could see Labo getting a few new kits to do the same thing. Yeah, and then see the the camera and the joystick. Oh yeah, they actually I forgot they showed off some potential. Yeah, they have like they have a bird. They have a camera where like the Joy-Con goes into the lens, but the infrared camera is facing outwards. But they're still twisting it. So I'm assuming I guess it'll have some sort of zoom, maybe probably or some sort of artificial digital cropping. But the other most um I guess elaborate one was the it looked like a giant stick like arcade stick for like a shooting game or something right i forgot about that. and then they also had like a pedal like i don't think the pedal was in the the variety kit Mm -mm. it's like a guitar pedal or yeah yeah it's um yeah i mean they're definitely planning something big here because kimishima was saying in the briefing that the goal after admitting that only kids and their dads and creative game types are buying labo right now he went on to say that the goal is to make labo a his words staple product for nintendo which, first of all, I appreciate that he's keeping the office supply theme running, like staple, good good word choice. But, um, yeah, he's saying that the current performance is giving Nintendo a solid feeling. We're off to a great start. It's literally how I phrase it. I've never heard someone in a business meeting be like, yeah, it's, we have a solid feeling. Like, usually that sounds so, you know, emotion-driven, not mm. stat-driven. But regardless, um, I suspect Labo's doing what Nintendo's expecting it to be doing right now and they're planning to just slowly ramp up to some of those new kits you're describing and then have a blowout this holiday with all the word of mouth from school kids that get to try it with their friends over the summer and then want it in the fall. Hmm. Just a theory. So, like, for, for Nintendo's sake at least, let's hope Labo does what they want to do because Labo is actually a pretty big part of Nintendo's overall Switch strategy for, like, going into the second year here of Switch uh, on the market. And it's one, it's a year where Nintendo anticipates selling 20 million Switches. Whoa. 20 million Switches between April 1st, 2018 and March 31st, 2019. That's 5 million more Switches than they did in the past fiscal year, which was 15.05 million. Uh, That was from April 1st of 2017 up through end of this March. And now they want to top that by 5 million, and they want to top what Switches sold in the last 13 months, so since launch till now, by over 2 million, because Switches like to date sales as of this new financial report that they just came out with is 17.73 million. And they're saying, no, 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 we could do 20 and 12. You did 17.73 and 13. Now we're going to do 20 and 12. So, you know, 2 million more with one less month to work with. Nintendo has high goals. And like, just to be, just so we're clear, Nintendo did do gangbusters uh, with Switch for his past fiscal year. Like, Switch helped Nintendo have an insane year. I mean, we'll be dipping in and out of the financials throughout this episode, I feel like. But in the case of Switch itself... It contributed so much to Nintendo's bottom line. I mean, their operating income, which is essentially their profit without outside factors being involved, like, you know, uh, currency exchanges and whatnot. Like, if you just look at their operating income as it is, it rose 500% year over year. Wow. 500. It was $1.62 billion. Or if you want a bigger number, I could say it in yen. 178 billion yen, which just sounds more impressive. Um, yeah, sales revenue which is literally just how much money they take in pre any sort of deductions that doubled more than doubled year over year, 115% rise to 9.66 billion yen. 
So Nintendo, to put it bluntly, had a very good fiscal year. We're talking like Wii era, like peak Wii era good. They're back to the Wii numbers that Iwata was saying they one day want to achieve. And they did, he just unfortunately wasn't there for it. But now we're looking at Switch year two, and they basically want to top all that. And as Kimishima outlined in the presentation, year two is actually harder to pull off than... Uh, sorry, I lost a train of thought there. I was going to say year two is actually harder to pull off than any sort of strong year one because you have to deal with the novelty wearing off was his concern which is a legit concern because year one you can ride strictly on the hype of oh you can pop out the controllers and you can pop it out of the dock and you can whatever and year two is like yeah we know now what why are we gonna play on it how do you feel about it do you think the novelty has worn off i think to some extent do you it even has. think it's a quote-unquote a novelty it's still a novelty there's still be a ton of people who get it for the first time like this is awesome but like for people who have had the switch for a while who are very vested in the gaming world you're going to get occasional bursts where it's like, oh man, this game, but on the go, GTA 5, but anywhere, what? But like the concept of just all your, my games I play on my TV and I play on the go, that's kind of becoming the norm if you're a Switch owner. Yeah. There's no game that you can't do that with on Switch, so they can't... I think as time goes on, they're going to run into an issue where a lot of games, people will be like, I'm glad I can play this on the go now, but it can't. it won't necessarily be the sole selling point in, you know, after a few years. Yeah, or that's kind of how I feel about it now. Like the... I I don't even think I've taken it with me to as many places as I used to. Like, I just... Normally, I would take it with me whenever I would go to the small little events that I know would take me most, like take me out most of the day, but now I don't really bother. But it's not so much a problem with the Switch. It's more with the software. Like, there just hasn't been any games I really wanted to play. And see, that's what Nintendo's now realizing. Even on the multiplayer ones, like, it just slowed down out of nowhere. Like it, until... Well, it's still going strong. They have over well, 600 games. It's just... Some of the novelties worn off. Well, games I guess I'm interested in. Yeah, and so and uh, like how many times do you get a game where it's like four players compete head to head in a top down shooting environment? And it's kind of with that, and it's kind of with the same problem. Like there's so many games coming out that are indie games that it's hard to like sift through all of them, and it, I don't know. You just kind of it becomes kind of like you um, become numb to it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's too much that you just kind of just you just ignore it. You just kind of. Yeah, yeah, you start to cherry pick a bit more because the novelty is not there. You're buying a lot of what you're buying because of the novelty of, oh, look at this cool thing I could do on my new system. Yeah, part of when it's not a new system to you and it's not as cool of a thing because there are seven variants of it, yeah. it's a little harder of a sell, which is what Kimishima rightfully is saying is something Nintendo needs to be mindful of and they're trying to address, which is good. I feel like if this was old Nintendo, they'd be like, well, it's just going to keep going at the same rate. We're great. And then they run into issues. But Nintendo actually seems aware of it and spent a large portion of the presentation specifically addressing this very concern that we have right now and to that point nintendo has a two-pronged approach they're apparently taking one is to rope in a broader audience so that's what we're seeing them do with labo and probably other initiatives down the line but the other is that they are acutely aware they need to keep us literally us you and me they name dropped us um, they need to keep us happy they need to keep us engaged in playing because we're the ones that got the switch to nearly 18 million in lifetime sales we're the ones that were you know being the main word of mouth spreaders about it in that first year and we're we're the ones that basically got this thing to almost be as successful as the gamecube in a single year gamecube's only 4 million ahead it's at 21.74 nintendo's got to pass that for sure this year whether or not like they fit, they meet all their goals this the Switch is outselling GameCube's lifetime sales in under a year and a half. That's pretty impressive. But in order to get beyond that, to achieve a bigger goal, Kimishima is promising a couple things. One is a uh, 
this one I actually find kind of perplexing. So one's a robust lineup, which of course you need games, right? So he name drops some examples. So you have key releases. You're gonna get Smash Bros. That's gonna be a big thing. The only one that matters. But you know what's gonna start their robust. You know what's gonna be a pillar of their lineup? Mario Tennis Aces. Hmm. Now I'll admit I never really viewed Mario Tennis as being a key pillar of Nintendo's lineup. Like, it's always felt like kind of the type of game that's there playing second fiddle to some other big release that comes out right around the same time. Like, you know, it's like uh, Mario Galaxy in November and Mario Tennis in December or something like that, right? Yeah. But it then again, every single first-party Switch game is moving the needle these days. So even even if you just look at it face value like that, Mario Tennis is actually like going to probably carry Switch because every single first-party game is. I mean, the best example of this is probably Kirby Star Allies. So Kirby was only out for two weeks before the end of the fiscal year. So they have two weeks of data, right? And it managed to sell 1.26 million units in those two weeks. Kirby sold over a million in two weeks. Here in the U.S., the MPD came out with uh, its March numbers and said that was the strongest debut of a Kirby game in the past 16 years. No Kirby game since Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland in 2002 has seen as strong of a launch as Star Allies. And not only was it stronger, it was 90% stronger. It almost doubled what Nightmare in Dreamland did 16 years ago. And it's just because it's on Switch, really. And then, like, uh, this, it helped it end up being the number four selling game in the, for the month of March. Kirby. Again, Kirby, the, the uninspired but still fun Kirby Star Out. It's like the most safe Kirby you can make is now the best selling 16 years. And like I said, I landed number four spot in the March MPD as a result. Um, it's only bested by Far Cry 5 at number one, and that's because it has its own strongest sales debut. And by Sea of Thieves at number two, which had the strongest sales debut of any Rareware game, or Rare as they're now known, in NBD history. How's that for surprising? And uh, it got bested by MLB 18, the show, which also had its own best series debut. So the only reason Kirby wasn't number one is because three other games happened to make the exact same record-breaking thing that it did. But nonetheless, it did very well. Um, And this isn't just a U.S. thing, just just to be clear. It's also in the U.K., fastest-selling Kirby game ever. In Japan, nearly a quarter of a million copies in one week. So Kirby somehow did really well, and if you think about it, it does kind of make sense. I mean, well-known franchise, kind of system that's all about local multiplayer, and its main hook is a co-op mode. Like, it's a series that's always done well on handhelds, now it looks like a console-quality release, and it literally plays up every strength of the Switch. Of course it's going to do well. Should have realized in retrospect. And Aces itself is now becoming a cornerstone release for, I think, basically the same reasons. Like, it is, I mean, if you look at, we've talked about, like, if you look at, pa, what was the one on Wii U called? Not Power Tennis. Um, Ultra it, Smash. Ultra Smash? Oh, wait, on the Wii U? Yeah. Yeah, Ultra Smash. So if you look at Ultra Smash and you look at Aces right off the bat, obviously Aces looks more appealing. But it's actually checking all the boxes that Nintendo does for their whole uh, multiplayer first approach they did all last summer. Like, remember how Mario Kart and Splatoon and ARMS and Pokemon were all, like, Oh, they're going to be multiplayer-oriented games, local co-op com- or local competitive multiplayer. That's what we're doing. Aces is literally that play all over again. It's coming out at the same time of year, too, summer, when everyone's free to hang out in the evening and play tennis, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like it has the multiplayer component built in. It leverages the Joy-Cons, unique tech, if you want to do motion controls. Optional, but it's there if you want it. It has a deeper uh, strategy mechanic than past Mario tennis. There's a little more depth to it than typical. It has a single-player mode for when you don't have friends over. It's got regularly planned online events. perfect game. It's literally hitting every checkbox of what Nintendo found worked last year with its Switch lineup. It's now just reapplying it this year. 
Like, it may not seem like Mario Tennis is a critical release for Nintendo, but they're starting to sign it up to be one. Hmm. Which is kind of funny, because I've always considered it second fiddle. I mean, even if it doesn't break sales records like Kirby has, pretty much any game on Switch gets a boost just from being on Switch. I mean, it took two months for Bayonetta 2 to exceed the total lifetime sales of Bayonetta 2 on Wii U. Two months. 380,000 copies or so. It took Pokémon Tournament DX about, I don't know, nine months, but it did it. Pokémon Tournament DX has outsold the original Pokémon Tournament, I believe, but I don't, I don't know if that's for sure, but what I do know is for sure is it has passed 1.16 million units. It is a million seller now. Hmm. Even Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is a million seller. 1.31 million. A first for the franchise, I think. To pass a million. So like no matter what you throw on uh, the Switch, it's gonna it's gonna sell well if it seems like if it's first party, you're guaranteed to have good sales. So perhaps Aces you know, maybe Aces becoming this cornerstone pillar release actually makes sense. I don't know. I mean it's like what they did. they're trying to make it into an arms or a Splatoon or a Mario Kart. Well I, Do you think it'll work? I hope so. I I feel like it could at least do better than ARMS. Well ARMS you know what's surprised about ARMS is ARMS has sold almost two million copies now. It's actually moving on up. Slowly. It's sold a quarter of a million over uh, January till now. And it's good to hear, but I'm kind of surprised. But it's good. It's good to hear. Yeah. That could only make a better sequel. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they know the feedback. I'm sure they know that some people thought it was underwhelming, but a lot of people did like it. So. And they're still doing the party cla- uh, party crashes or clashes or whatever they call those, the character battles mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So they're doing regular updates and they, yeah. So I'm hoping Aces. Yeah, I'm hoping Aces is more of a Splatoon. Or a Pokin, well, not Pokin. Pokin so less than Arms. More of a Splatoon or a Cart uh, than it is a Arms in terms of success. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I mean, I, I, the funny thing is, I feel like all these every no matter what you put on Switch, it does well. It kind of retroactively further justifies Nintendo's other spring releases coming out in the next like month or so. I mean, it always seemed like a pretty good idea to put uh, Tropical Freeze on Switch, but if it can pull Kirby numbers off just a DK name, or at least the sales pace of something like Bayonetta 2 where it takes two months to outsell its predecessor that's an easy win for Nintendo so like why wouldn't you do it plus you know Funky Kong everyone loves Funky Kong he has a reversible cover now did you see that I mean how much does the DK name really hold a lot remember when Donkey Kong Country Returns was put on 3DS even though it was on Wii three years earlier and sold over a million copies holds a lot of weight wow alright it's not like Donkey Kong is just like a thing in our culture it has weight huh that's cool But and Funky Kong Funky Kong like I was saying, he has a reversible cover. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah, there's... When you buy Tropical Freeze on Switch, you could pop out the cover, flip it, and it's all Funky Kong art. <laughs> and what's interesting about it is like, it says Tropical Freeze, but it's just like Funky Kong by himself. And the back um, has just random Funky Kong art. Apparently, it makes sense, he has a barrel, a Funky Kong barrel, so all it says is FK on his barrel, which I feel like is a meme waiting to happen. It just feels like the... I'm not going to say because we're a clean podcast, but it just seems like to abbreviate FK on a barrel, barrel just... It's asking for people. It's funny because no matter what, it would still be FK because um, yeah. if you go to the shop, they have barrels for all the main characters, and Diddy's is a barrel with DD, yep. Dixie is DX, and Cranky is CK. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like Funk, I guess it could be. Oh no, it still be FK because Funky. Yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly. It could be FY, I guess, but that's weird. Mm-hmm. But I guess Nintendo just decided to embrace it. But I mean, beyond just Donkey Kong, like the same logic of well, okay, it makes sense. Put Donkey Kong. Look at these sales. Hyrule Warriors, the third edition of Hyrule Warriors. That comes out in like a month. And you mean it hasn't come out on Switch yet? No, it comes out May seventeenth. Like it's 17th. been out forever. I know. Or maybe it's been on three DS and Wii U for two years. Or maybe it's also because um Fire Emblem has been on 
Fire Emblem well, Warriors has been out like, since October, yeah. yeah, or September. Actually, October, yeah. But what's funny about Fire Emblem Warriors is that's a game that I feel like neither of us paid any attention to. The media didn't really pay attention to. I still don't. Right? Did you know that game has sold over a million units on Switch I mean, and 3, 3DS combined? I know I'm not the biggest fan of the Warrior series, but I know it's still really popular. But I like, mean, throw Zelda in it. So but I mean, like, it no sense. one talked about that game. It came and went. I talked. I talked about it once, and that was at E3 when I tried it, and then I never mentioned it again. I feel like I never saw coverage of it, and it sold over a million copies. Again, just the magic of the Switch, I guess. So, like, it kind of makes sense. Hyrule Warriors is now again coming to Switch because, you know, if Bayonetta can do well, if Kirby can blow up out of nowhere, why not give those Breath of the Wild fans? And I guess now million plus Fire Emblem Warrior fans, the perfect hybrid of their two things they enjoy. Hmm. So uh, suddenly, like everything Nintendo's doing, it's like, oh, duh, it's just endless money for them. Why not? So, so that's one part of the strategy. We don't really know what's coming beyond summer. They haven't, beyond Smash, really, they haven't said, but I'm sure there's stuff. But the other half of Nintendo's first party strategy to keep Switch momentum going is to just keep leaning on those evergreens: the Mario Odysseys, the Breath of the Wilds, the Splatoon, the Mario Karts. And really, like, who can blame them? I mean, if you look at March's NPD here in the U.S., Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, still in the top 10 in March. Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild, and Splatoon 2, still in the top 20 in March. In fact, in just the past quarter, January till March, through March, all of them sold really well. Mario Odyssey sold 1.34 million copies. It's at 10.34 total copies. Million, not total. <laughs> it's sold a million copies, but guys, only ten people bought it. No, but it's at ten point. It's at basically ten million copies. They sold a million just in the last quarter. It's currently outpacing the performance of Galaxy and Mario sixty four. It's the wow. fastest selling Mario, three D Mario. Uh, Zelda managed to almost sell another two million copies just since the holidays. One point seven four. That means it's at almost four, eight and a half million, and it's now Japan's best selling Zelda. Mario Kart eight one point eight nine million copies. Um, again, almost two million. It's sitting at nine point two two million total. Splatoon 2, another million sold. That's bringing it up to 6 million, which is already a third more than what Splatoon 1 ever sold, period. And it took, only took nine months to hit that goal. Like, even ARMS, like I was saying, that has sold an additional quarter million. It's now sitting at 1.85 million. So, while that one might not be the tier one uh, release Nintendo hoped guess, for, it's certainly not dead. Yeah, well, it's still, I guess it still technically did well compared to the other ones. You could definitely see where... You can see where it tapers off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's mean, like million seller, million seller, million seller. Yeah, cause you, could, million yeah cause you could say it did well, but I don't know when you hear like a number like that compared to like 10 million and then you yeah. hear like one point. Uh, 10 million and then 2 million? Yeah. But the, the thing that, like, it, the arms thing aside, what? I don't think they feel like, oh, it's a 2 out of 10 game. Yeah, it's a 2 out of 10. It's basically worthless. Like, just stuff Helix back in that box and never take it back again. But no, the, the, the reason I'm saying all these specific numbers is to make the point that, like, we know Nintendo's trying to turn all these games into legitimate evergreen tiles and have them sell, sell, sell. And up to the holidays, we knew they succeeded. But what's interesting to me is that the first quarter after the holidays, and not just the immediate aftermath when everyone's going to spend their gift cards and whatnot. I'm talking about like a full three-month quarter in March, like when people are done with their gift cards and actually still buying things. Every single one of them, excluding ARMS, is a million seller again. It's like every quarter they just keep selling by the millions. It's crazy. Like Nintendo's all these new games, but they're still selling all these old games. It, it, it's, it's actually working. The strategy's working. And, and it's... It's not that they're just being sold at a very steady rate either. It's that the engagement in these games is going up too. Like there's this chart in the presentation that Kimishima showed that showed that Splatoon 2 obviously got a nice boost in active players after the holidays, right? All the new people that picked up the game. But traditionally, that number would dip back down over time and go back to where it was or maybe lower as people abandoned it. Not true with Splatoon 2. 
it has continued climbing. It has not dipped to 2017 player levels at all. It hmm. just keeps going up. So, you know, you have... You see something like that. You see something like Splatoon building a million seller quarter after quarter. And you realize that something like the Octo expansion, which, what, comes out July 13th or something like that, that's not so much just like a marketing boost for new eyeballs on the game or something to reward those few players. The Octo expansion is in and of itself now almost a pillar, like a cornerstone release in the same way Mario Tennis is. Even though it's just an expansion, it's kind of almost like a full sequel in terms of like there's going to be that many people interested. It's going to have that big of an impact. It's going to have that much content. I think it's going to have a bigger impact than we expect it to. Hmm. Nintendo's probably going to push it really... They've been marketing it already for two months. Like, they're... Or a month and a half, maybe. Like, this... It's not... Maybe it's not a full, full sequel, but, like, it's a bigger deal than just, like, hey, we released a new single-player campaign that's twice the size of what you previously played. It's like, hey, there's this huge thing that all these people are going to do and all these new people are going to rope in with, and it's, like, a bigger thing you know like it's just interesting because in the presentation it's like yeah we're gonna have smash we're gonna have mario tennis we're gonna have octo expansion and those are the only three things he highlighted as specific call outs of nintendo's own games octo expansion is the same tier as smash and mario tennis no in conversation in no. conversation that's even in conversation no, no not for us but for nintendo oh. they're saying it's importance it's well, up there for them which well, you is know, crazy well you know well, you know they're gonna treat everything like it's like the the holy grail mm-hmm they're not gonna say like like all right, get Smash for then yeah, maybe you have some extra money to get the Octo Smash, and they're like, oh, these two are necessary components to. Your well, yeah, play. yeah, and then to be fair, he was talking about Smash in the context of a new game and Octo Expansion in the context of boosting existing games. But I guess my point is more that, given that Splatoon keeps growing and growing and growing and keeps selling millions, and there's no slowing it down, Octo Expansion could be as if they did a new release of something, hmm. not necessarily oh, yeah. Smash tier, but like. They're saying it's a major summer event for them, which is kind of interesting because a few years ago, I'd be like, oh, yeah, there's three new characters in Mario Kart. That's cool. But it won't be like, you know, this type of like drumming it up in advance. So I don't know. I feel like I ask you this all the time, but is, is are you actually jumping back in with Octo Expansion? Or are you, whoops, are you gonna, I, I thought I was, honestly, but you know what? I think I'm done with Splatoon. Really? It's like doubling or tripling the single player content. You're not going to, not even that? I guess not. I don't know. What like, was the turning point? Was it the Splatfest coming out in a couple of weeks? And you're like, I mean, it, the Splatfest coming out is Ninja Turtles. We'll talk about it in a sec. But what, did you decide if you're not doing the Ninja Turtle Splatfest, you just can never touch Splatoon again? Because if that doesn't excite you, what will? Um, no, Splatfest. Splat, Splat, I don't. Splatfest. Yeah, Splatfest. I, I can't. Ex- <laughs> no, I felt like I was mispronouncing it. Oh. Um, I mean, Splatfest. Oh my gosh, I don't know why I'm. You're saying on. it fine. Yeah, Splatfest. Oh, I see uh, what you're doing at the end. Yeah, your S and your T. Or I, I, S and A or yeah, I was ending with a T. Or whatever. The, the Ninja Turtle Splat-tastic event. There you go. <laughs> yeah, well, any kind of Splatfest, yeah. I feel, doesn't necessarily make me want to play or not play. Like, they're... I only... I'm only really engaging them if I'm already actively playing the game. Like, I only participated in the Splatfest if I was, if I was still, like, climbing up the ladder. Once I stopped playing Splatoon, I never went back for a Splatfest. But Ninja Turtles isn't going to entice you? Mm, I mean... Ninja Turtles, your favorite thing. I know, like, I can my love for Ninja Turtles doesn't even compare... I mean, can't, can't Nintendo can't compete with my love for Ninja Turtles. And yet, Nintendo's like, here's Ninja Turtles, and you're like, no. <laughs> She's casting them aside. Yeah, I guess it's just... That's weird. I just had my full Splatoon, I guess. Like, I beat That's the fair. game. I feel like there's nothing they can really do that... I haven't seen anything that they could do that would make me to be fair more interested in the game. 
the, the the new levels like they look just as crazy as the new ones did in Splatoon 2 because Splatoon 2's levels were definitely way more creative than Splatoon 1's levels yeah and the new ones I mean they look just as crazy but I mean I've I've just had my full of the gameplay I'm just satisfied as far as the lore goes it was interesting while I was on the ride but now that I'm off the ride you don't I, care enough I, to yeah, dive I don't in. really care enough to go back to be fair you made a comment that Nintendo what you've seen doesn't look very impressive keep in mind all Nintendo's shown is a handful of screenshots and a three minute trailer where two thirds of the trailer is a single person walking down a subway car so we haven't seen a whole lot yeah but but, but yeah no, but, I, get, but, I get your general but, but to be sentiment. fair yeah. if you see like two seconds of a level you know, or less yeah yeah that's kind of the whole level like even yeah. like when you see the trailer for Splatoon 2 and you see like a few seconds of the story levels yeah. like they it's pretty much they're doing the exact same thing the whole time the it level. is very much the Mario Sunshine challenge levels but with an ink jetpack yeah yeah like they're very so I mean they're not part. bad but no I got what you mean I don't know I, I'm shocked I, you're I, not doing the Splatfest I mean for those who, for those who don't know like, I just realized there might not be people that are aware of what's going on with Splatfest Nintendo announced the first ever multi-part Splatfest, and it's themed around Ninja Turtles. So there's three separate back-to-back events where you fight for your favorite turtle. It's pretty awesome. Don't get me it's wrong. It's a really cool setup. So I, I, I could not. I literally could not have asked for a better Splatfest. It's it's multiple Splatfest. Lit- That's the yeah, thing. Because May literally could not. Like, yeah. Best case scenario. It literally is, and you're still not doing it. But yeah. So basically, how well, it works I don't plan is... to. I mean, if I do any, it would be the, when Michelangelo is involved. Okay, so you would get to sit tight till May 11th and 12th. So May 4th and 5th is going to be uh, Raphael versus Leonardo. Or, sorry, Ralphie versus Leo. You mean Donatello versus Leonardo? No, Raphael. No, I'm pretty sure it's Donatello versus Leonardo. I just Leonardo. pulled this off the press release. I'll go check. I'm pretty sure. Because a real-time fact Because when I saw the pictures, it was Donatello versus Leonardo. It's possible Nintendo got their press release twisted. Or maybe I maybe I mixed it up. They also called him Ralphie and Leo, and I was like, I want to put their full names. So I started typing in their full names, and I was writing my notes. And now I'm starting to think maybe I mixed them up and typing in the full names. Um... Give me a sec to find it. Because I saw the image that Nintendo tweeted of the first two turtles fighting, and it was Donatello and Leonardo. Was it? Yeah. Well, maybe Nintendo managed to screw up their preferences. I didn't think. I it mean, was unless possible. they mix up the names, because maybe it's they... possible. All right, I'm going to Polygon.com gaming website on the internet. Also, because May fourth and fifth will be Raphael against Leonardo, really? Michelangelo versus Donatello on 11th and 12th, and then the fi- the winners of each of those will go head to head on the weekend of the 17th or 18th and 19th. So yeah, Nintendo image. Ah, here's the image you probably saw. Everyone at home, just picture a, a graphic with four t-shirts and Inklings wearing one No, that's each. not the image I saw. Oh, well maybe Nintendo sent out the wrong image and corrected like, it. Like on, on Nintendo's like, Twitter, they put the image of like a picture of Donatello, like the one in that yeah. art, yeah. next to Leonardo. How dare they confuse you like, like that? Like making it look like those two yeah, are fighting each it, other. Yeah. Like even on Go Nintendo tweeted like, oh man, who am I going to pick, Donatello or Leonardo for the first one? Well, press release and Polygon say... Even one wait, of, that's weird. If Go Nintendo tweeted... Oh, right, it, because it, he tweeted the tweet. Yeah. Even one of our friends on Twitter is all like, oh, man, I can't wait for the Raphael versus Michelangelo fight. Well, he might never get it, according to these... Wait. Well, I mean, I guess he yeah. still could if Raphael wins this yeah. fight. He might be making time. assumptions. Yeah. Regardless, it's a cool thing. They've never done a multi-step. Splatfest. Like, it's a multi-week investment should you choose to invest. And, of course, it's done in conjuncture with uh, Nickelodeon promoting the new Rise of Ninja, the Ninja Turtles show, Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which comes out end of the month, I think. Or already out. Is already out? It hasn't come out yet. Oh, okay. So this is all to drum that up. But regardless of the marketing angle, it is a really cool idea. And it's like it's nice to see Splatfest kind of evolve. Yeah. Little. Transformers, Ninja Turtles, they even did SpongeBob. Yeah. I mean... 
clearly Nick likes them, SpongeBob and Ninja Turtles. Yeah. But uh, the tie of it's also weirdly fitting because uh, Kimishima was saying in the briefing that they want to host more game events because while DLC and things like the Octo expansion obviously work to get people to play and, you know, uh, all the numbers you're rallying off proves that point. Apparently not you. You're not playing. You're not. You're the antithesis of the point, but Kimishima's nice little charts prove the point, of course, because they're his charts. But, you know, DLC gets people to do enough, but Kimishima was saying that Nintendo wants to double down on game events and competitions since they not only work as promotion vehicles, but they also help build a stronger community of players, which in turn keeps them playing. I mean, if they really want me to get to play Splatoon, all they need to do is literally just add any kind of gear that has Ninja Turtles on them that's permanent. That's not just available uh, left So there is a key to your heart. Yeah. I like playing as the characters. I mean, that's how you... I mean, yeah. that's what's going to get me to play Injustice 2 on PS4 because Ninja Turtles are in it. And you can actually play as a turtle. Right, right. So... Yeah. yeah, Ninja Turtles are having quite a moment in video games, aren't they? There's yeah. other bigger games out there right now. Well, they're, I mean, their last series did pretty well. It was one of the more popular ones. Their comic book series is doing amazingly well. It's running longer than the original Ninja Turtles series went. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the new show is kind of getting mixed mixed hype reviews based on the designs of the, of the characters. Yeah, it's a little questionable but it's also how i felt about the 2012 series when it was first announced when it was first announced to be cg i remember yeah. seeing that reveal training going like oh this is horrible i hate it and i grew on and it. i ended up like really loving it hmm. like i really really it's like one of my favorite shows hmm. not as much as the 2003 ninja turtle series but still really good and this one i mean that's why i'm just kind of holding back my my thoughts like might look weird but maybe in action it'll, it'll be fine i don't know well, no, soon enough. I mean, if they're doing Splatfest, they're just about ready to air the thing, I assume. Yeah. I do like the voice cast. It's some people I'm actually like fans of, like Ben Schwartz. Yeah, the, and, the, the uh, voice cast is actually, like, I hate all of them. Oh, well, it. that's unfortunate. Yeah. Because but... they're going to be the voice of your favorite thing now. So you've got to warm yeah. up to it. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was funny that Kim Shima was like, hey, we're going to do more game events, and then, boom, here's a three-part Splatfest. Which is, by the way, not exactly what he meant, because he was talking physical events, but it does check a lot of the same boxes. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's little... just kind of funny timing. Yeah, I do like that it's just a little tournament. Yeah, it's yeah. neat. And speaking of tournaments, actually, this is probably what Kimishima was more angling towards, but Nintendo's E3 plans came out in conjunction with the presentation, and we already know that there are Splatoon and Smash tourneys taking place, uh, but we now know specifically where and when. So Splatoon 2... Not specifically when, though. We do know specifically when, sort of. Splatoon exactly. 2 will be first so up... I know, we, know, we know approximately, <laughs> specifically, sort of loosely when, <laughs> when that'll be <laughs> happening. But Splatoon 2 is going to be up first on Monday, June 11th, with opening rounds of their World Championship, and then the finals will take place the next afternoon on June 12th, and once that's over, the Smash Invitational will immediately begin. That's the one we don't know the time of. Yeah, because they didn't even tell us when the finals start for Splatoon. It's all I mean, up they, in the they, air. Yeah, they're saying, they're saying afternoon. Like, what does that mean? Like, am so I going to have... Here's why they're saying like, that. This is the first time I bought tickets to E3. Am I going to have time to actually go around everywhere? Am I just going to have to be like, making lines? This, this is what annoys me. So both events I might just taking... have to not go because... To the tournament or to E3? To the tournament. Yeah, I know. I'm in the same boat. So this is the problem. I mean, I'll definitely pick E3 over the tournament yeah. just because... I'm not going to pay this much money and not go to right. the show Right, it's $250 for yeah. three days. Yeah, but here, here's the problem. Both of the events, Monday and Tuesday, are being held at the Belasco Theater, which is, I don't know, three, four blocks east of the convention center. So that's not that far. It's a reasonable walk, but it's not, like, horrific. If they did in any other theater, it'd be a good half-hour walk, probably. Mm-hmm. So not too bad. 
What's annoying? On Broadway. Yeah. Huh? What? Make it up on the theater at Broadway. What theater at Broadway? The the very old. Oh, the Los Angeles theater. I don't know. That's not that close. I mean, Broadway comes by the convention center, sort of, but that, that's a longer walk than the Belasco. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot the Belasco was even there when we were speculating about where it could be. But um, what's annoying is what you're seeing is, like, they're doing the one I interested, I'm interested in, which is Smash, on the day they shouldn't be. They should be doing Smash on Monday, but I guess they really don't want to reveal Smash until their 9 a.m. Tuesday, June 12th Switch video presentation, which they also just announced. That's where we'll get our first look at Smash. That's where we'll get a look at other 2018 releases for Switch. So they're only doing Smash after that, which means we're in this situation that you're describing where... Wait, doesn't that mean last, well, I guess many E3s ago, it was also on Tuesday? It was, but we didn't have E3 passes because it was industry only and we didn't get in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but here, so here's the, the upside. So we should have seen this coming is what I'm saying. We maybe should have, but they did... Because no, they did Smash on a non-E3 day. They did World Championship, Nintendo World Championship on E3 day. I think. I think Smash was like Sunday and the World Championship was on a Tuesday. Different years. I want to say it was during E3, wasn't it though? I think. Oh, maybe they both were. You're right. Because I right, remember. You seen this coming. Because I remember like just that LA Live just being like really busy with like. You're right. It was that day. Over. Yeah. But no, here's, here's the reason that I feel like we shouldn't have seen it coming and we didn't is they said it will be Monday and Tuesday, and now E3 is open to the public. So they are literally forking the audience by doing this because they could guarantee a bunch of Nintendo fans would show up to the Smash Invitational because there's nothing else you can do at E3. But now you have the option to go into the convention center if you have a badge, which you can buy from E3, and actually play Smash Brothers before the tournament even happens. Smash is confirmed to be playable this year. Of course it's going to be playable. So now it's like, well... You can't if you're a member of the public into E3 till I think 2 p.m. or 1 p.m. on that Tuesday, and then they have it open till 6. So in theory, you could walk over to the Belasco in the morning, stand in line for your ticket, get your ticket, and then go E3 and then go back to Belasco, in theory. But does Nintendo require you to watch the Splatoon final? Is it first come, first serve after a certain point if they don't fill the seats? Do you get to go E3 for like an hour and they have to race over because the tournament might start at 3? Like, we don't know. Details will come out closer in, and this is most definitely a first-world problem and a very limited first-world at that. But nonetheless, I don't know why they didn't just do it on Monday when they could have had a huge Smash crowd and then let Splatoon be the one that gets forked because Splatoon has a more decades, smaller audience to begin with. So the Splatoon people will probably choose the tournament over going to demo Splatoon in the booth, which isn't a thing. Like, the Smash audience, they're literally like, you can play it or you can watch it. And both had compelling reasons. Splatoon, you would just go watch. You wouldn't need the booth component. So they could, you know, would logistically been easier for Splatoon fans to decide what to do, I guess. Or yeah. to get more people there, like more bodies in the room. So, I don't know. We'll find out. But the rest of Nintendo's E3 plans sound nice and pretty much right in line with what we were expecting. I mean, like I said, there's that 9 a.m. video presentation. The processing a look at 2018 Switch releases, followed by three days of, of course, Treehouse Live, where they're going to be doing deeper video coverage. And then those of us at E3, we get a demo Smash, we get a demo yet to be specified or even announced other Switch titles. Um, these two will primarily be 2018 releases with Nintendo promising that they're going to show off further down the line games at a further time. Which to me sounds identical to what they said last year. Last year, like, we're only going to focus on 2017. And then they showed Metroid Prime 4, they showed Pokemon Switch, they showed Yoshi, and by show I mean they said their names and put a logo on the hmm. screen, but it still counts, they were announcements, right? So I think we may still get hints of other things coming out, 
beyond 2018, but yeah, it sounds like the focus is on 2018 at E3 this year, which is fine. It's worked well for them the last couple of years. I don't know why everyone's freaking out. That's a bad thing. They always freak out when Nintendo makes it sound like they're limiting E3, but whatever. One thing I'm particularly curious about, whether it's 2018 or not, is Pokemon. I feel like if Nintendo really wants to hit that 20 million Switch sales goal this year, they kind of are going to need Pokemon, right? Like, perhaps... But then what will they do, will they, yeah, but then what will they do the following year? Well, okay, I don't know, but here, let me let me word it differently. More, the, well, I guess, we'll, I guess they'll cross that bridge when they get there. Yeah, so so here's what they're actually... So they're trying to sell 20 million Switches, right? They're also trying to sell... This is their goal for this fiscal year. So from now till next March, 100 million units of software. And this is first-party software, first-party physical and digital. So not indie games, not that. They themselves want to sell 100 million games. And even with Mario, Zelda, Mario Kart, Splatoon, everything we saw last year, they only sold only 69 million units between all those major franchises. And now they're saying, you know, that's a very impressive number, but now they're saying they want to do an insane number of 100 million. And I don't think Smash alone can move that many units. It doesn't. It's not the best. It's not the best selling game on any Nintendo system. It's up there, but it's never number one. And I don't know why it would suddenly sell 100 million. And you know, even if you factor in Labo and its slow burn, even if you factor in the Evergreens, the smaller releases, 100 million is a lot when you already put out your Mario Kart, your Splatoon, your Mario, your Zelda. Like you could throw in Animal Crossing maybe if it is announced at E3 this year. But I feel like Pokemon is the thing that can push them to that goal. You know, like Pokemon's well, its own yeah, breed. Pokemon will definitely do it. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's certainly gel with stuff we've been hearing lately. Like GameStop CEO was teasing a few weeks ago that they expect Switch sales to remain very, very strong. And I feel like, I don't know, if it was just Smash, maybe you get one very out of him. But when you add in Pokemon, yeah, that's worth two varies, I think. Yeah, very, very strong would be Smash and Pokemon. Maybe Animal Crossing. Very strong would be just Smash. So, yeah, I mean, the, the real sign that maybe something's up is those patents that keep leaking out about interactive NSC-based cards, which could make a nice tie into whatever this Pokemon game ends up being. I mean, last episode we talked about, I think it's a patent where essentially you use a physical card to interact with the digital game via NFC, and you kind of throw the card down, and the game's able to go, oh, that's this card, and do something with it, and kind of interface with it. And now there's a second patent that's leaked out that shows a lot more detail, including the fact that it's co-signed by Nintendo and Game Freak, the Pokemon developer. So it's specifically a Pokemon patent. We know that much right off the bat. And this one's a bit more interesting because it suggests the card um, isn't just something that will become like a digital thing when you put it down. It's actually going to go beyond what we've seen with Amiibo. And the card itself will change based on what happens in the game, which is kind of nuts. So the main character image will be static, but the background will be able to change color or pattern or do some other stuff to reflect what's happening. So, so it's like half digital, half physical. Oh, it's wait. Like, this is physical. It's a physical card with a digital attribute that will morph its design in respect to what's going on in your Switch game. If if this is how... If the patent is being interpreted correctly by Nintendo Life and all those other I games. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, it just sounds like... Um, I mean, I guess they were full digital, which is kind of what I'm leaning towards. It would be pretty much exactly what Hearthstone does with their cards. Yeah. Like, when they're on the field and they get status elements or buffs or something, like, the card, like... I mean, it's a static image, but if it has something called Wind Fury, it suddenly has, like, a gust of air around it, or it has, like, flames around it if it's, like, enraged See, they, they and stuff like of, that. They could sort of do that still, with or without this patent, because there is tech that Sharp showed off recently, where you throw yeah, a card then, down... But, yeah, but then again, there's nothing that would need patenting. That's just... It, uh, no, you, you could have gameplay design patents. Nintendo had patents on some Mario stuff, the 3D camera movement, all that. 
Um, but no, because there, there's a thing that Sharp was showing a few weeks ago. I think I mentioned it last episode. You throw a card down on screen, and the screen is able to detect this card is currently on this p- spot on the screen and kind of build around it, like do stuff around it in the background. So in theory, they could have these cards that are half digital. They throw them down. You do a gust of wind attack, and it does like a wind animation around the card, and then maybe it blows through the card in the background of the character. There's like a blue streak that shoots behind them or something. Like it's possible. Hmm. Um, at least it, from the interpretation that all these sites are running with, which I don't know enough legally to know if that's right or not. But it is a really interesting idea, whether it's digital ailments or like digital effects or physical on digital or whatever. Like any sort of Switch Pokemon card game can go beyond what Amiibo cards did, which kind of negates. I think last episode we were saying like, why would they have? They have Amiibo cards. Why is how is this different? Well, here's how it's different, and it also, um, you know, makes it sound like maybe. I don't know, maybe this isn't a mainline Pokemon game we're going to be seeing right off the bat. Maybe that is coming down the pipe, and they're going to do a digital Pokemon training card game or some spin-off or something like that, and then this is it. Like, as they said, they're making Gen, what, 7, 8? I don't know what they're up to now. Um, would, well, the next one would be 8. So they said they're making Gen 8, but they never said when it would come out. So this could just slip in in between. This could even be Gen 8. Maybe they're doing some sort of card combat system which would blow people's minds and cause all sorts of uproar so I seriously doubt it but you never know like it's it'll be interesting to see what pops up at E3 if anything that relates to this like my attitude is the more the merrier for something with Pokemon so you know make a card game and then do a real Pokemon game too and like throw an Animal Crossing while you're at it like you know you could then we have the holy trinity at launch for Switch Online of uh, Animal Crossing Pokemon and Smash Bros whether it's Pokemon card game or Pokemon real game still Pokemon still be cool so I don't know. It's interesting. I'll also actually take a new wave race. <laughs> if anyone wants to just do that, because it, I mean, it's not going to be a AAA release on the scale of Smash or Pokemon, but you know, when you have the producer of the series go to the BAFTAs in the UK, which is a big arts award show, and he says in an interview out of nowhere, we're trying to make many games and wave race may be one of them. You're saying an expectation. And I'm just saying, Shinya Takahashi, if you're saying an expectation, you're going to get my hopes up and I want you to deliver. So please, wave race. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, in all honesty, though, um, I do think I I think I said this last year on the show, but I do think Nintendo would be smart to bring back their sports line, Wave Race, 1080, Excite Bike, all those, because you know we have NBA 2K, we have FIFA, we have WWE on Switch, and broadening the options of games for those fans with some I don't know like first party Nintendo sports games, it kind of just makes sense. I mean, especially in light of the fact that FIFA 18 is actually doing really well on Switch in Japan, the Switch version of FIFA 18 has outsold. the PS4 version 1.5 times over. So like 50% better. So if they can you know, if Nintendo can sort of bolster that audience, that might lead to more sports games kind of switch from others as well, and or new additions or whatever, and it just seems like there's a whole market here that's going a little untapped. So Wave Race would be a good start, yeah. Did you ever like Wave Race? I loved Wave Race. Even Blue Storm? Blue Storm was weird. Uh, so Wave Race 64 I liked a lot, but I came to realize when I got older I only liked playing the uh, practice where you can ride the dolphin. Like you do the cheat to ride the dolphin, and I used to just do that or do stunts off the, the jumps. I never actually like played it right. Wow, you were such a little kid. I was such a little kid. And then Blue Storm on GameCube had really cool water physics, but they almost bogged down the game a little. Like it almost felt too real to the point that it was like hurtful. Like our Wave Race 64 is a little more arcadey, I feel like. And then Blue Storm was a little less. And that kind of hurt it, in my opinion. But I love conceptually the idea of a Nintendo jet ski game. So I am very much on board with a Switch one if it were happy. I mean, did you ever play Wave Race? 
Um, you know what? No. Did you ever play Excite Bike 64? I I have Wither's Blue Storm for GameCube. You've never I... played it? No. Wait, 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 wait. The guy who makes fun of me for not playing my games very much has a game he's never once played. Even I've played. No, that's wrong. I haven't played Batman Tale, t- Telltale Batman yet. No, this one, um... All right, Race is on. Are you going to play Blue Storm before I play Batman Tale, Telltale no, Batman? No, because this Batman. game I bought, like, aftermarket. Like, I think I bought it, I don't know, like, less than 10 years ago. Like, it was probably, like, like tail end of college. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember seeing it at GameStop, and I was like, oh, it's like four bucks. Why not? Right. And I didn't even have my GameCube installed or anything. I just bought it. But, I don't know. I guess it just never... I mean, I know they're fun because I've heard great things about, like, Wave Race 64. Mm-hmm. I mixed things about Wave Race Blue Storm. People just read about Wave Race in general, which is why I bought it. But it's still... I, I think I got my feel from the the boat sections of Sonic and also Racing Transformed. You see, that's what Wave Race should feel like in all honesty. Not what, like Blue Storm, like that. Complete with a hedgehog steering. Or a <laughs> space lady that dances. Or I.I. from Monkey Ball. Any of them. But yeah, it's uh, I, I would be very on board with that coming back. Yeah. 1080 I mean, also. I'd be down to give it a shot. 1080. Actually, you know what? If, see, if 1080 comes back, maybe that'll convince uh, EA to make a new SSX. Maybe it'll get SSX Tricky 2. No, That'd be cool. It's tricky. Or even, hey, like Ubisoft bring out steep already it's supposed to be going to switch at some point which actually brings up a good point of uh speaking of third party i want to know what others have planned for switch at this point like be it at e3 or beyond because in the briefing kimishima made reference to there being publishers preparing new ideas for switch and if you pair that with rumors going around it certainly set up sets up a lot of interesting possibilities i mean total pipe dream here i'd love for valve to port over something like portal one and two i know that sounds out of left field it kind of is but Valve did just purchase the Firewatch developers, uh, Campo Santo, like last week. Firewatch is kind of switch. Campo Santo has switched dev kits through, trans- like through process of whatever. <laughs> what I'm saying is Valve has switched dev kits now, so they could have always gotten them. But now we know they have them in their company. <laughs> I think if they grew it, though, they would fit right in on the switch. Right, it'd be perfect yeah. co-op. Not, not to mention, yeah, like besides the co-op, but you also already have um, Portal Bridge Constructor, so yeah, they're so, they're so, yeah, they're for people that yeah. are, are enjoying that humor that never played the first two. Which, if you're strictly a Nintendo fan, it's entirely possible because you either needed a PC or a PS3 or an Xbox so. or a Mac, literally anything but a Nintendo system. Which means most people listening, they probably played both. I actually had Portal One on my PC, but it ran so horribly. That when we tried, we only played it together like twice. Or no, it must be Portal Two because we played it together. Um, wasn't yeah, Portal One single only, but it ran so bad on my PC. And I got Mac and never re-downloaded it. And now I want it on Switch because I'm the lazy guy who can't just go download it for yeah. Mac. I played both of those games to death. They were really, really, really fun, and I would definitely play them again. On I don't know if I'd play them again on Switch. Oh. I probably want to. I would want to replay them on something more powerful, just to just make them look as nice as possible. You do rise the age they are the Switch can handle their most powerful look right they're from 2000 like no that's it I would want them to do like a oh a remaster yeah, like a remaster uh, oh look at you Mr. PS4 Pro oh, insisting everything's in 4K yazzle dazzle span- I mean, fancy tech I mean <laughs> I don't know there's a possibility I might be yazzle dazzle I mean Portal 2 is the only one I might be interested in playing on the Switch just because co-op co-op but yeah. then again it's not like I can't do co-op on the PS4 we somehow ended up with four PS4 controllers over the course of it's buying so many PS4s. because you have two PS4s in this room at this very moment. We actually have three PS4s in this room. Three PS4s. You're right. I see the third one now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the other controller we just got because we needed it to play Tales games. Man, if we're right with that metaphor of you having, like, if you're cheating on Nintendo with PlayStation, you're going to, like, a PlayStation brothel, apparently. <laughs> you just have all these PlayStation just lounging around the room. <laughs> yeah, there's three PS4s there and one PS3 right under it. And just a Switch and a Wii U, I think. This is more of a PlayStation room than a Nintendo room at the moment. But anyway, the point is... There's giant Mario right there. They're, they're, yeah, and there's Sonic right behind him, so that negates that a little. And if I look up on this wall, there are two PS4 boxes. Oh, there's the Switch box. Okay, I guess you're alright. Yeah, but then but, there's that Aztec-looking mural thing of, of Nintendo, Nintendo art. characters. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. You, this is a gamer's room. Basically. It's very balanced, I guess. It, it's there. Yes, it's it's your your gaming feng shui is on point. I mean, the Nintendo games are definitely way more prominent than the PS3 yeah, games. It's like that's true. They're, they're double rows of them. There's also like eight times as many of them. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, you win. But yeah, not just jerk. <laughs> not just Portal kind of switch. I also would like, you know, uh, Platinum Games has been saying they'd love to bring over Wonderful 101 to Switch. Why not? Let's make it happen. That game really needs a second lease on life. It does. And as we were discussing earlier, what a great opportunity to give it. Switch is the perfect opportunity. It doesn't even it. need the touch controls. They work no. just fine with exactly. the non-touch controls. And if you want touch controls, it has a touch screen on Switch. But but in reality, what you know what we're actually going to see at E3 pretty much exclusively? Battle Royale games. Battle Royale. Game based on Battle the popular Royale. movie from the 80s, 90s? Exactly. If by that you mean based on popular current video games, PUBG and Fortnite, in which case, yes, absolutely. But, like, I, I jokingly said last which week... Which was straight up based on that. Huh? Which was straight up based on that movie. Were they? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess they were, yeah. That's, that's the yeah, whole concept the of the movie. Yeah. 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 Well, sort of. This one just kind of gets rid of the premise and just skips to the island part. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was saying on Twitter recently that, like, I made a joke that, like, E3 is just going to be a battle royale of battle royale games. But yeah, it really does seem like that. Like it, PUBG and Fortnite obviously both blew up very quickly, and everyone's now very hopping quickly. on that bandwagon like in, in mass. I mean, I get it. Like Fortnite became practically the biggest game in the world overnight, and it's doing so well that this is a fun, this is a crazy stat. It's doing so well that in March, headset sales doubled off of Fortnite's popularity alone because people need to talk to each other. Well, doubled, nearly doubled, I should say. They, it's like 90-something percent. Um, and that's from MPD, in case you need a source. But like, I get it. The concept is really cool. You have these 100-player matches. It's kind of like a natural evolution of online shooters. But like you it's just have the add elements um, of the world shrinking, and you have to collect loot or like They found things. the sweet spot because um, there was a game for, Pl- uh, for PS3, I think, called Mag, where you have like yeah. 250 character yeah, yeah. Like, people playing at once. It was just a massive battlefield. But I don't know, for whatever reason... Um, PUBG, I guess when they started it, like the game didn't even look. It was, it, it, it was in Steam Greenlight. It was like yeah, alpha build. Quality. It was. The, I mean, the game just looks like aggressively generic. Yeah. Like you just see it and you're just like, oh, it looks kind of boring. But the gameplay itself is obviously very fun. The concept is just so. I guess it was at that point was just so novel that it drew in so many people. It was mm-hmm. fun to watch, fun to play. And then Fortnite retrofit itself literally in a yeah. Fortnite well, and turned into the bigger game. Somehow. Well, yeah, I mean, well, it makes it does sense. It a better, yeah, because yeah. like not only does Fortnite, Fortnite decide to take the blandness of PUBG and give it a style. Yep. They, I mean, it kind they of team fortressed it basically. Basically, yeah, and not only that, but by doing that, they also made it more, I don't know, like age friendly for more for younger kids. Yeah. I mean, and for hip hop superstar Drake. Because I mean, it's basically the exact same game. The only difference is that because I've played, I played Fortnite. Right. Um, on your phone, right? Or on your iPad. tablet, iPad. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's literally the exact same game. Like you're in an island, you have to be the nothing to survive. In. Yeah, you parachute in, you kind of get like a hang glider to pick exactly where you want to land. You gather weapons and resources. Mm-hmm. And every couple minutes, um, the the area of play shrinks and there's like a like a cloud that if you're in that cloud you start taking damage and you'll die so you're pretty much forced to stay within a giant radius and as that radius shrinks and shrinks and shrinks eventually it'll be so small that's kind of how they get away with matches not going on forever right right because they, they think, put yeah, artificial limitations yeah because then people will run away and it's fun I couldn't really get too into it I think at least by myself I feel like this game would be really fun if you played with groups of people Right. Which is what I know Obazov, but he only got into PUBG because he would always play, he would never play, or rarely play solo, he would play mainly with like three other friends and just go as a group of four. But because that game just looked like another Call of Duty and Fortnite just looks more, I don't know, it's just way more inviting. Like I know almost like every kid in my elementary school that I work at just plays it. Like they all are like, oh, you play Fortnite? You play Fortnite? Everyone has like Fortnite. Sure, it's Fortnite. Dude, this, it's, Fortnite it's, that. It's, it's like. Minecraft level Yeah, because it's, it's for all ages. Like, they have so many streamers that are playing Fortnite. I mean, I guess maybe the ones that used to play PUBG now move to Fortnite just because it's just a bigger audience. Well, I feel I kind of feel bad for the PUBG guys because, like, they did it first. Yeah. And, now, yeah. and then it's on mobile. There was, like, a, a knockoff PUBG that was kind of stealing some of their thunder on the mobile side, but then eventually PUBG came out with their official mobile version, but by that point, Fortnite had already taken the the niche area that they were starting to claim, I guess. Yeah, and and here's the, here's the thing that the knockoff thing kind of makes me think of. is like, I have never seen the industry jump on a trend quite this fast. I mean, we're at the point where everyone's doing Battle Royales and I'm I'm expecting Nintendo to like suddenly convert one of its franchise into a battle royale. Like, could you imagine if like Animal Crossing, the next Animal Crossing, is like surprise, it's a battle royale game. Like, you're all competing for Tom Nook's lowest rent mortgage or whatever. Or you know, actually, better idea. The one that would make the most sense, I feel, would be like Star Fox or like. No, hear me out. Hear me out on Animal Crossing. Every 15 minutes, you need to pay your rent. To do it, you have to run around and, and gather resources. To yeah, exactly. You, you need to gather items. You need to collect bugs, collect fish, fish, help people do tasks, and then every fifteen minutes, the people who could not meet their rent are eliminated, and you keep shrinking down hundred villagers to one until the final villager stands, and he's rewarded by having to pay a mortgage. As long as they're all playing in the same area, fighting for resources, like right? It all be in the same area. Yeah, you can set traps, and and you know what the problem is? I was saying this facetiously. But it actually, it actually sounds fun. I actually want to so do it. It, it, it. it actually sounds like a Nintendo Land-style Animal Crossing game. Yeah, I would do a, that. It, it would be like Nintendo splatooning on first-person shooters. Yeah, I would totally be in favor of Animal Crossing going the Battle Royale route. I did not think at the start of this analogy or joke or spoof or whatever you want to call it, I would be saying this. But here we are. That, that would be a game I would be very interested in playing. Right? Like, who was not? But no, seriously, like, everyone, that aside... Everyone's making Battle Royale. You know, maybe the fact that it sounds fun no matter how you frame it, that's why everyone's making Battle Royale games. IGN has this list they put together. There are 16 confirmed in-development Battle Royale games right now. 16. And that doesn't even include the rumored retrofits from EA and Activision. So apparently EA is turning Battlefield Five into a Battle Royale or will include a mode, and Activision is doing that with Call of Duty. And the Call of Duty rumor is of particular interest because it may be Switchbound. So if you thought you didn't get your full Battle Royale, just you wait, because Call of Duty is coming to Switch 
only as a Battle Royale game, according to the rumors. So the reports come by way of a site called Gaming Intel. They have a source who says that Raven Software is building Call of Duty Battle Royale for Switch with a little help from other, the guys over at Beanox, which has also had some experience making Nintendo games. And uh, on the surface, this sounds like a toy reasonable thing. Um, the idea of Call of Duty going Battle Royale has been reported separately already. Raven was the developer. Beanox was listed as well. And the mere idea of Battle Royale and Call of Duty, it meshes with a lot of Black Ops 4's marketing so far. You know, they have a slogan of forget what you know as they lead up to its unveiling. And this would be like give up on normal multiplayer where Battle Royale now. Like it kind of makes sense. It also explains why there hasn't been a Switch version confirmed yet because um, even though it's been announced on other systems, what other systems are getting according to Gaming Intel is the full Battle uh, sorry, I don't say Battlefield, Call of Duty experience. So you get whatever Call of Duty Black Ops 4 is on PS4 and Xbox One. If you want it on Switch, this is where things get a little more interesting. Apparently the Switch version of Call of Duty will only be the Battle Royale mode. So they can't announce it for Switch yet because they can't announce the thing that doesn't exist yet. Battle Royale mode isn't official yet. So how do they announce it's coming to Switch and then pull out the rug and say, well, only a third or half of it's coming to Switch? That's probably why we haven't heard the news yet. Hmm. But... That's assuming this is true. And it does kind of make sense. I hate to... Like, it does make sense to give Switch kind of a limited version for a few reasons. I mean, one, Switch may not be able to run the whole Black Ops 4, you know? Like, uh, Activision, from their perspective, why spend the time and money down-resing an entire game? We could just do the part that's going to resonate the most with Switch owners, the multiplayer. And if that's the case, then um, you got to wonder, so is there even regular online multiplayer in Black Ops 4? Because... The rumors say it might only be Battle Royale, and if they leave that out on Switch, if there is regular multiplayer as well, but they leave it on Switch, then we're getting ripped off. But if it's only the Battle Royale mode, and if they bring it to Switch, and they sell the Switch version as like Call of Duty Battle Royale, and the other ones is Call of Duty Black Ops 4, and let's say the Switch version's a little cheaper, are we getting ripped off? Because at that point, from Activision's perspective, it's like, hey, have the whole, the full cinematic Black Ops 4 experience on your next-gen 4K console. Then... Continue the fight on the go with Battle Royale on Switch. That almost sounds like perfect marketing, doesn't it? Yeah. So I, I'm kind I would, of inclined I wouldn't, to... I wouldn't even feel legit at that point. I wouldn't either, because let's say it's 40 bucks on Switch and 60 for the other versions. I'm like, that's totally fair. <laughs> like, I would be okay with this if it's true. If it's true. I mean, if it means we get something... I mean, that's yeah, I mean, if but if they charge 60 bucks and they give us less content for the same 60 bucks, then I'll be a little annoyed. No, that's yeah. just not fair. That, that is a cool. no-go. As a no-go Activision, no-go. But no, presumably, um, when battle re- when the Battle Royale mode of Call of Duty is revealed, in whatever capacity they name it, uh, it might be at E3. I think it might actually be as soon as their late May Call of Duty uh, streaming event they're doing. We'll probably know what the deal is, and we'll probably know if it's going to switch at that point, because then the mode's legit, and then this whole rumor can pan out. But for now, just kind of an interesting rumor. I'm kind of in favor of it. Seems cool. And, I mean, it makes sense. Like, uh, Battle Royale like that seems like it would resonate with Switch owners more than I mean a whole Call of Duty would be fine but the Battle Royale one they could really like position as this Switch thing you can do anywhere anytime battle anyone like it, it, it makes sense so we'll see I would love to see Fortnite itself actually come to Switch I mean why not have the biggest one of them all on your platform and the most Nintendo looking one of and the most Nintendo one looking or Nintendo looking one but the, the there was a rumor it was coming to Switch uh, that rumor was seemingly debunked by US Gamer basically there's this Twitter account named Leaky Panda fitting name, who correctly predicted that some Nintendo Direct details um, were going to happen that happened in the last Direct. 
And they said that the full Fortnite experience is coming to Switch, E3 reveal, and it will have exclusive Nintendo content. Then US Gamer swoops in and says, well, actually, nobody we know at Epic or at Nintendo knows anything about what we're talking about with this rumor, and the dream was very quickly dead. So there's that. But I'm sure we're still going to see a lot of Battle Royales on Switch at E3. I mean, I bet at least a few of those 16 on that IGN list are going to pop up, and we already know Crazy Justice is on the way. Um, actually, those guys must to provide be, some crazy. Justice. Those guys, but yeah, exactly. Those guys are probably annoyed that Call of Duty might eat their lunch a bit on Switch. Like, I hope Crazy Justice does well on its own, even if Call of Duty happens, because like it looks like they're really putting a lot of effort into that. I mean, it has cross-platform play, cross-platform data transfers. It, it's running pretty smooth on the videos front that they put out of the Switch version. Like, they're really putting a lot of effort into it. So, it'd be kind of a crappy situation if Call of Duty just swoops in, it's like we're the captain now of the genre and just like take over but it it's certainly possible you know I mean if, if it were you okay so you have Crazy Justice you have Call of Duty and you want a Battle Royale on Switch would you go with the indie one or the main one because the main one obviously will have more support but the indie one might be more interesting like it's I don't know I don't either um damn it's, it's kind of it's hard right it's kind of tricky to dive into a brand new one because I mean you know, and they're both brand yeah. new that's the problem yeah. so would you just not buy it yeah. Would it have to be Fortnite? I would wait. It'd have to be Fortnite. Oh, not necessarily. I mean, I would just wait for... I want to see who, who becomes the victor. Yeah, the because at the end of the day, it comes down to which one has the bigger install base. Because yeah. that's what makes them. I mean, especially because you're asking 100 players to be ready in one room. So if it's hard to find rooms at this indie one, that it could have an amazing concept that's better, but if no one's playing it, then you pretty much just cares? wasted your money. Yeah. That's the problem with... So it's definitely a better to sit and wait because the people that are really hardcore about it will get it and that's what... You'll, you'll know. It, I feel like that's the problem with 16 of them launching at once and E3 becoming the well, Battle Royale, really Battle Royale. The, the market. Yeah, because you already have enough trouble with some online games getting enough players as is. Right? Uh-huh. So now make game where make games where you have a hundred players per game. Make sixteen, eighteen of them if you count the two rumored ones, and then hope for the best. Like that just seems. I mean, the fact that they're, they're almost all cross-platform is good. I imagine Call of Duty Battle Royale would be too, but it's just kind of like guys, like you're thinning out the herd here a little. D- don't do that. <laughs> but I guess I guess if you want to compete, you have to take the gamble and hope for the best. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, there's got to be more RD three than just Battle Royale. Don't get me wrong, but Battle Royale seem. We're going to hear a lot of the phrase Battle Royale from June 12th through 14th, is what I'm saying. But beyond that, there's going to be some other stuff. I mean, I think, um, as annoying as it is to say this, I think Dark Souls Remastered might end up being i3 on Switch, because it was supposed to come out May 25th. The Switch version specifically has now been delayed till summer, so that's an easy win for Namco to show that off in their booth. Like, look, we have Switch support. Here's a game that should have been out a month ago. Um, so that's probably going to be there. Wolfenstein 2 on Switch, that will almost definitely be there, considering it's out two weeks later on June 29th. Um, on the indie side, maybe we'll see some movement on Pocket Rumble finally. Turns out, Pocket Rumble Pocket Rumble was actually playable. I'm, I'm, I'm this close. You can't see my fingers, but I'm this close <laughs> to just like kind of giving up on that game. It, it was playable just the other week at uh, EGX Resed in... Um, in Europe, which is a convention of like indie playable games. is not the same as available, but playable means they're positioning it to they're ramping up the marketing, meaning it's coming out. So you don't promote a game that's delayed indefinitely, you stop talking about it as they did, but yeah, they're showing I mean, it again. The point is, I was hoping to have been playing this know, game I since know. launch, and now there's so many other fighters coming. I mean, they just announced Guilty Gear for Switch like last week, yeah, but none of that matters when Smash Brothers comes out, yeah. But if, if this it's, is it's, out, it's in like the July. all become a moot point, it's like it doesn't matter anymore. If this if is you out in July, you get if you want to play a different fighting game, ish. get a PS4. That's true. 
Wait, what? <laughs> what did I just agree to? <laughs> you want to get a fighting game? Get a PS4? No, you, you want to play a different fighting oh. game besides Smash Brothers. Man, you are really trying to turn this into random Sony, aren't you? <laughs> but no, it's... um. Hey, if they, they could release in July. You could have a solid 60 and 90 days with Pocket Rumble and then cast it aside. Yeah. But yeah, so that that might show up. I'm, I'm so um, curious about that... Um, What was that called? Um... That other 3D, 2D, 2.5D fighter that was really announced in the last Direct? Oh, direct. yeah, 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 the 90s style one. Um, I know you're talking about, I don't remember what it's called. Well, the one I thought looked like Virtual Fighter, you said it was crazy. That one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called. But yeah, that one, that one I think they always were just saying 2018. So they're not delayed yet, at least. Yeah. But right. yeah, um, I... You know, actually, another game that I'll probably be at E3 now I think about it is uh, Sonic Mega... Sonic Mania Plus. You got a text, my friend. But yeah, <laughs> Sonic, Sonic Mania Plus will probably end up being A3 too because um, they just announced that the Plus part of Sonic Mania Plus is coming out July 17th. So you get all that new content, you know, the new characters, Mighty and Ray, the remix level design, time attack, competitions, all that. Uh, time attack and competitions, I should specify, are now four player. That's the new thing. They were two player. Um, and that, is, here's the interesting part. That's only $5 if you own Sonic Mania. If you don't want to buy physical, if you just want digital, they're giving you all that for 5 bucks. For 5 bucks. Which, like, good. that's a total no-brainer to me. Like, if for no other reason than I mean, to... are you going to get that even though you clearly have put in a ton of time into Sonic I've put in so much time. <laughs> the most time. The most tremendous time. But, no, it's, um... Yeah, I probably will for $5. If for no other reason than to fly around as Ray. You know Ray, the flying squirrel, is literally just Mario with his cape from Mario World. It's the exact same dive animation. Yeah. So just to have that sort of fake mashup of them, I'm totally on board with. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably get it for five bucks. Um, that was pretty crazy though. Just five bucks for a whole DLC. Yeah, it's 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 nice. It seems like Sega really seems to be making all the right moves lately. Like five dollars of DLC is a great deal. It's gonna bring a lot of extra attention to the game. It's very much like I how... think five dollar DLC. Huh? I think think five dollars. I know it's like five dollar foot long, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's much like what Nintendo's doing with Splatoon, where they can have you know they just push out a little thing with a lot of content. They're like, here you go, and everyone's talking about Sonic Mania again. And then they also have like Sega and Generals was doing everything right. Like they also have the Mega Drive Mini coming down the pipe. They're doing Sega Ages on Switch. Which actually, quick correction on that. Um, last episode we were speculating about the compilation and what it will come with the Sega Ages compilation for Switch. Turns out, as we later learned, when Sega put out a English press release. It's not a compilation. They will be, just like the 3D classics on the 3DS, individual re-releases of each classic Sega game. And mm. if they do well with the Genesis lineup, they are then going to do Saturn games and even Dreamcast games on the eShop. So there probably won't Pretty be... Taxi, then? That would be awesome. But there probably won't be um, extra features we're talking about beyond just the emulations because mm. it's not a compilation. It's just the emulations. So... So there's that correction. I feel like I just need to get out there because we were totally off base last episode. I mean, I don't need anything else to add it to Crazy Taxi to enjoy it. Right. And, I mean, I'm the same way. Crazy Taxi is great as it is. Crazy Taxi is one of the first games I got on GameCube. Yeah, just give me those two songs from The Offspring and that one from Bad Religion. And, and you're set. You don't even yeah. need the game. You just need the three songs. I could totally just give you the MP3s. I, I do have those. Oh. Yeah. So then you don't even need them. You're no, right. no, I, th- I no. So don't I know, add any know, bonus tracks or anything. Actually, while we're issuing cor- corrections, now I think about it. We rarely do these, but um, I should probably note, last episode I was saying this whole rant about when how I was in Australia, the Nintendo experience didn't have Switch demo units. 13 months after launch, how did they not have Switch demo units? I ranted and raved. And it turns out, five or six days after I visited, guess what they installed? Switch demo units. 
So by the time I got back to America, got on the mic, and posted the episode, they did have Switch demo units. Man, so I was just toy off base because I said me- their good name. I know, and remember how I was saying last? It's like, oh, I'm gonna do an extra on style, have a gallery of images of like the crazy stuff because it's so weird. Why is it all Wii U? Well, I never posted the gallery because by the time I would have made it, it's already out of date. By the time I said the words, I'm gonna make a gallery, it was already outdated and incorrect. So that's why there's no gallery. I just thought everyone out there listening should probably know. But anywho. Back to what we were actually talking about. All those games we just rattled off, the Battle Royales, the Sonics, the all of it, that's just a taste of what may or may not pop up at E3 or from third parties. But in the financial briefing, um, Kimishima dedicated just as much time, if not more, to discussing the indie scene on Switch. Because frankly, that's kind of a bigger deal these days. I mean, of the now 600 games available on Switch, a lot of them are indie and quite a few are doing really well. He specifically shouted out, started, yes, he shouted out, uh, I just realized how dumb that says to say. Kimishima shouted out Stardew Valley, uh, but he did. He said that that's already sold nearly 1 million units. Uh, Overcooked has already sold over half a million units on Switch alone. And these are both games that were on other platforms for quite a while and then came to Switch. And he was saying that that demonstrates the appeal of playing games anywhere with Switch and how that's enough to convince people to double dip in many cases. So, in other words, what Nintendo's saying here at the highest level is they're telling every indie out there, you don't want to miss out on this easy profit, come to Switch. And that really is the takeaway of all the Switch news and numbers from Nintendo. It's easy money right now. They seem to be getting their ducks in a row to ensure it stays that way and the easy money continues, and that in and of itself should make for, a, uh, should make for an exciting E3 and exciting beyond E3, as, because we're actually going to start seeing what the ducks in a row, what those ducks are that they're putting in a row. So that, that's the Switch story from Nintendo's financials. Finn. Finn. But it's not Finn on the entire Nintendo story, not at all. Because the other biggie to come out of the briefing is their plan for mobile gaming. And uh, they seem to be switching things up a bit, no pun intended. I mean, as you're probably aware, anyone listening, and I know you certainly are, Angel, up to this point, the main idea of Nintendo's smartphone game lineup was to expand access to their existing brands and IPs. Obviously, they want to make money, but it was about exposure, it was about marketing, as much as it was about profit. It was all about like, hey, these people don't have access to Mario or Fire Emblem or Animal Crossing. Let's give it to them, and if they like it, they'll come back for more on our dedicated devices. And to that end, I guess they've had mixed results. I mean, Fire Emblem Heroes, they were saying in the presentation, continues to be a bright spot. Uh, its user base is still growing. They rolled it out in places like Hong, Hong Kong and Taiwan for the first time, uh, and it's doing well. Like Active user count remains strong. It's strong enough that the overall in-app purchase rate has continued to climb upward. It has never dipped. It just continues growing. So they're making more and more money, which is nice. But then you have something like uh, Mario Run or Animal Crossing, po- uh, blah, blah, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. And those games, those are not doing quite as hot. Like in both cases, they stay user bases. There's 20 million active monthly users from Mario Run. And um, there's an audience of 70% women for Pocket Camp. That's literally the only stat in town game. They wouldn't give, give any hard numbers, which to me means they, there's a reason they're going to give the number. It's probably not doing that hot. But but there wasn't much else in terms of next steps. Like They're just like, hey, we have active user bases. One's pretty female. <laughs> and yeah, that's our mobile strategy. It's just like, wait, what? So that almost outlines the or like exemplifies the bigger problem here for Nintendo, which is, as Kimishima explained in a separate briefing that's quoted, I think, in Bloomberg, that uh, they wanted smartphone games to become one of their business pillars, and that's still an ongoing issue. That's how I worded it. 
In other words, they're just not making the money they hope to make. Even as part of this brand expansion strategy, they just were not making enough money off these things. So to address that, for better or worse, they're just straight up making normal mobile games now. No more Nintendo brand expansion. Just, hey, let's just make some money on mobile, like the old-fashioned way, the normal way. We're not going to be special anymore. So what Nintendo's specifically doing is they're teaming up with Psy Games on a new smartphone action RPG. It's called Dragalia Lost. It's going to launch first. That sounds super... Super JRPG. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know why? Because it launches like... first in all the Asian territories and only in America and Europe sometime later. Sounds like the name of some game that Conan O'Brien would be promoting. It does. It does. Yeah, why does he do those mobile game ads? I don't know. I guess because a clueless gamer? Uh, he's definitely setting himself up not to look like a clueless gamer. I know. He seems pretty with it. He, he is very with it. He is hip with the kids and the games that they play. But uh, yeah, so Dragalia Lost, the Conan-esque but not Conan-promoted game, is launching in Asia first this summer, comes everywhere else in the fall, and I don't know. Did you see the trailer? No. It's so generic JRPG. Like, it's such a... I mean, no offense to the game. I'm sure there's an audience for it, and I do appreciate the significance of it and what it means for Nintendo going forward, but it's so generic action RPG-looking with an anime art style, which is fine. Nintendo's never really made one of those unless you sort of count Fire Emblem, but, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, the, the significance of it is there. Like, I mean, first of all, this is a major move for Nintendo into new territory. Like, gone are the days... Of smartphone games being a means to an end for them. It's not about brand exposure. It's not about marketing. Now smartphone games are the goal in and of themselves. And to Nintendo's credit, to make sure they're doing it right, they enlisted one of the biggest Japanese mobile game developers. Like, Side Games is huge. They've worked on properties like Idolmaster for Namco Bandai. They've worked on Dragon Quest for Square Enix. They have their own huge game, Grand Blue, which is such a big mobile game that they then enlisted Platinum Games to make a PS4, like, expanded universe game for the franchise like it's a mobile game that does so well that now it's getting a console game instead of the other way around so grant so like they they have some gravitas behind them like it's a big deal that nintendo's working with them and in this specific case uh the deal with side games and specifically with dragalia lost is that apparently nintendo is both co-developing and co-publishing it which means they will actually have influence on the game design and decisions of how the and all that so that's kind of cool. It's going to be kind of Nintendo-y. And Nintendo also invested 5% in side games as a whole, which suggests this is a long-term play and there's going to be a lot more games to come. It also probably shouldn't affect the DNA deal. They're the ones that made all the games up till now and are working on Mario Kart Tour. Because it turns out, small world, DNA owns 24% of side games. So it's still kind of working with them, even though it's not. Hmm. But uh, my worry here is that if Nintendo's going full smartphone dev like this and teaming up with side games specifically, it's that we're now going to be diving headfirst into full mobile game monetization and all the suckiness of that. Because side games is notorious for its very aggressive in-game monetization strategy, and Nintendo is, quite frankly, not notorious for any of that. Like, a, it's probably good for their business pillar that they're trying to build up for mobile that um, they're doing more monetization, but for us gamers... It's been nice that they weren't. I mean, there was gotcha systems in place in Fire Emblem Heroes and Animal Crossing uh, Pocket Camp. But, well, actually, the Pocket Camp one's, like, brand new. That just launched. That's Fortune Cookies. That came out a couple weeks ago. And basically, you get a cookie, and it could be any number of different random furniture items of a set that are generated within this cookie or whatever. But where Nintendo stood out from regular gotcha, be it the cookie or the hero spawning in Fire Emblem Heroes, or summoning, I mean, is um, Nintendo always always throws fairly 
generous amounts of in-game currency your way. Like, you boot up the game, and it's like, hey, it's a Tuesday. Here's, like, ten leaves in Animal Crossing. It's like, oh, that's nice. Or, you know, you turn on Fire Emblem, and it's like, we uh, released a new JPEG calendar image yesterday with a phone background, so we're going to give you some orbs. It's like, uh, okay, sure. A lot of mobile games, you have to really work to earn those or just pay money to earn those. So Nintendo's been generous with those. So, yeah, they have gotcha systems, but you don't really have to work for them. They're just kind of there, which is nice. Like, you, you can work for them if you need more stuff, but surface level, Nintendo gives you pretty generous access to those options and I don't think side games will <laughs> I definitely don't think they will I mean for for lack of a better word my fear is that side games will push the more aggressive monetization and will go along with it because now they want a business pillar and that means we're going to get full gotcha full loot box like side games has a reputation of that and just to add another wrinkle to all this, Belgium, just the other day, has labeled loot boxes as criminal gambling, meaning that they're illegal in the country. And other European countries are looking to make similar moves. In those instances, I believe it's for games you paid for up front versus free-to-play. And Dragalia uh, Lost will be a free-to-play game, so it might not it might not interfere with this. But nonetheless, like there are countries saying this is gambling. Nintendo's being like, oh, we just let you do it for free. It's fine. And now they're going like, actually, we're going to make you pay potentially right as these countries are outlawing it. It just seems like a bad mix of events all happening simultaneously that will only hurt us, the gamers. So We're I mean, the losers here. Yeah, I mean, maybe Nintendo won't go full loot box. I don't know. I'm making assumptions based on side games, money-making schemes that they're known for, but like, why would Nintendo team up with side games and their known monetization strategies and admit that they're not making enough money on mobile all at the same time unless they're planning to leverage that expertise? You know? Yeah. So, I mean, time will tell, I guess. But it's definitely not my favorite move they've made of late. Um, I mean, do you think I'm overreacting? Like it's... No, definitely not. Especially with how rampant some of these games really are with their monetization. It's... I don't know. Like, like how... It unfortunately seems inevitable at some point. Yeah, because like you, you play a fair amount of mobile stuff. I mean, it seems like a lot of devs have figured out the right balance of monetization. I mean, Hearthstone has, Fortnite has. I, I, I don't know, like... Have you had any games where it was uh, you were into the game, but the monetization was off playing enough that you actually like backed away? No, that's probably why I'm into Hearthstone because the monetization doesn't ever get in the way. You could easily get all the packs you need if you're patient enough, just by uh, gathering the in-game currency. And because of that, when I do pay for something, it's because I really, really wanted it, but it was never needed. Which is kind of how Nintendo was handling their. Their monetization up until I guess they're handling it that way. Or if it was needed, like summoning new heroes in or with orbs in Fire Emblem, they would just there'd just be enough orbs that you wouldn't have to worry about actually paying for them. Often, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if you want to go a step further, yes. But if you want to just play the game at a regular human pace, you don't necessarily have yeah, to. Cause, yeah, because what I like about I don't think I'm really mentioning this about Hearthstone, but like I guess other nice alternatives to the fact that. If you want to play online ranked, yeah, you do have to get a bunch of packs, yeah, you do have to build good decks, and that requires you to get certain cards, but they also have single-player modes where they have pre-built decks for you, and it's all about, like, building... Well, I guess you have pre-made decks, and as you play the game, you, I guess you build the deck going forward with mm-hmm. pre-built... with pre-made sets of cards that you add that you have to pick from, so it comes down to, kind of like, oh, which one should I pick? What do I want to build? And that's all free? Yeah, and it's all free. Hmm. And they give you, and actually give you packs for beating levels and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, the other side of this is Nintendo's approach to monetization might meet side games halfway, and it might not be crazy. 
like Nintendo say we want help with monetizing, monetizing, but we don't want to go full you. <laughs> so to them, so you know, you know, it's 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 possible that it won't be so bad. But yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see. I'm glad they're doing it with a new IP that's kind of an isolated, siloed off thing, and not like doing it in Mario Kart Tour or something, because that would that'd be a little crazier. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. But what's funny is that while Nintendo seems to be struggling a smidge with mobile, like everything else of theirs is just chugging along. Like even things you wouldn't expect to be doing well are somehow doing well. Like Nintendo doesn't have to touch them and they just chug along. I mean, Amiibo. Amiibo is a good example of this. Did you know that sales of Amiibo figurines? this past fiscal year are actually up compared to the year prior? Oh. I don't know, but in the year, in the 2017 fiscal year... Have marketed Amiibos in the wild? Well, they had the Zelda ones to go with Breath of the Wild, so that got boost with the Switch yeah, activity. But that was a year ago. What? Yeah, but that still fell... Oh, no, wait, no, that was last fiscal year. They came out last fiscal year, but... The most recent were the Pearl and Marina. Evergreen. People are still buying the Zelda... They did the second Zelda ones around the holidays, too. The Champions. Mm, but right. here's what here's what blows my mind. So they sold a year ago, so last last fiscal year, nine point one million amiibo. Okay, respectable. If Nintendo hit that again with the fewer amiibo they're putting out and you know less interest, great. Somehow they have sold ten point three million. They sold over a million more this year over last year. How? <laughs> like who's buying them? I mean, see, the more logical thing is the amiibo card numbers. Amiibo cards dropped from nine point three million to five point eight million year over year. Which makes sense because no game really uses cards. No new cards have been announced. No one cares about cards. But even then, how'd they sell 5.8 million when nothing's there for them? And you can't find them anywhere. Where are these numbers coming from? <laughs> but, I mean, that's my point, though. It's, like, it's just chugging along on its own. Nintendo might be struggling with mobile, but apparently they're the sole survivor of the Toy Life business and are somehow able to do better? Hmm. While everyone else had to bow out, they're actually going up? It's just crazy. I mean, it's good. It's great for them, but... Maybe it's just further proof that the um, Pokemon NFC card thing we were talking about earlier, that patent, maybe this is the proof that they're onto something and there's real potential, sales potential here. Like, if these things are selling more, not less, there's still some interest from someone or 10 million someones. So who knows? But also interesting, uh, or also seemingly, not very interesting, it's kind of a given, but seemingly on autopilot is the Super Nintendo Classic Edition. The SNES Classic has now sold 5.28 million units. Yeah, the thing consistently pops up like once yes. a week. Nintendo actually managed to figure out how inventory works. <laughs> Who would have thought? But it's same with Amiibo for that matter. They got inventory working. But yeah, at this point in the NES Classics life, now keep in mind, in the end of fiscal year at the NES Classic came out, it had two fewer months on the market than the Super Nintendo Classic. But even with that, it sold 2.3 million in that, I guess, five-month range. And the SNES Classic is at 5.28 million in a seven-month range, if I'm doing the math correctly. So more than doubled with the extra two months and good inventory. So that's – it's amazing what inventory can do, what a steady inventory can do. And it makes me wonder <laughs> – If you have that product, people will buy that Yeah, product. if you make it available, people will buy it. Interesting. But yeah, it makes me wonder if like we're going to see the NES Classic get a huge boost once they start reproducing it this summer. Because that is the plan. They're going to bring it back this summer. So who knows. But I think of all these little autopilot things, as I like to call it, my absolute favorite is the 3DS. The system that Nintendo just can't quit. Because I really... <laughs> I just want to quit I, you. I can't quit you. I really, truly believed that this was going to be the final year of the 3DS. I thought it was going to mirror the Game Boy Advance, have about a year to a year and a half on the market after... You know, maybe it would taper off into 2019 slightly. Maybe Mario and Luigi is the final game, and yet here's a system that's still selling 6.4 million units year over, uh, you know, over the past fiscal year. There's over half a million 
sold just since the start of 2018. Who is buying these? I don't know. But it's still making moves. And there's basically no new games for it. Like, Detective Pikachu came out the final week of March. And yet they sold half a million from January to up through that final week. Like, where, where, who, why? <laughs> so it's just like chugging along. And it's led Nintendo to decide that they now want to support the 3DS, as Kimishima put it, into 2019 and beyond. Which, you know, is fine, I guess. They have a lot of evergreen tiles to lean on. Um, now I think about it, they have all the new games, too. They have Luigi's Mansion. They have WarioWare uh, Gold. Oh, yeah, I forgot that was coming they out. They have oh, Mario and Luigi. I forgot that was coming out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot that was coming out. I, was that one for each game I said? Yeah. Oh, let me see if I think of a fourth one. I can't. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they have all those coming down the pipe. They even have unannounced projects that seem to be already underway. Um, there's a listing in South Korea for Yokai Watch Busters, which is a spin-off of Yokai Watch. And it shows Nintendo of America as the localization team. Now, it hasn't been announced for America, but I don't think Nintendo of America would be translating just the South Korean version. So I imagine we will soon be seeing it coming to America as well. And that's all well and good. But the question I have is, can they actually get these games to sell anything once they come out? The system's doing fine somehow, but Detective Pikachu didn't even crack the top 20 of the March MPD, even though it was number one on 3DS's individual chart. So if you're the top-selling 3DS game and you can't, with Pikachu, make any of the top 20 of the March MPD, are your games doing that hot? And like not only that, but in Japan, the weekly charts show that 3DS software is basically dead in the water. So I'm not sure what Nintendo's thinking is, because here they are still anticipating selling 16 million pieces of software by March 2019. Uh, to be fair, that is half of the 35 million that they sold this fiscal year, and they only do expect to sell 4 million 3DS consoles over the next year. But still, with the ports and remakes, is that enough to pull 16 million in sales? And even Detective Pikachu hasn't made a dent yet. Granted, Detective Pikachu only had a week, but still, like on the chart before you know before the numbers were locked in. But still, like, are you just hoping people keep buying Pokemon games because? That actually, the majority of that half million of software sale of uh, yeah software sales that happened since the end of the year or since the start of the year was Pokemon games, old Pokemon games. Detective Pikachu that game had a physical release. It right? did. I huh. owned the physical, and it had the giant amiibo too. I somehow, didn't really know that. Even when I went to Best Buy today, I just kind of peeked at the 3DS section. Nope, and I didn't see it. I haven't seen it on show. I mean, unless it's sold out, but I mean, which is good. If it's sold so. out, then where's the numbers to back that? I don't <laughs> understand. Unless they put one per store, I like I don't. <laughs> Where I mean, I can ask all these rhetorical questions all day, but what it... I don't know. It's just like, why? I don't understand what they're thinking here. Just let the thing die. I guess they figured there's 72 million 3DSs out there, and they're anticipating it being 76 by the next year or so. Might as well throw some stuff out there that's really cheap and see what, if anything, sticks. But, Mm. like, I don't know. I think the low expectations for sales of software, the fact that they're only expecting 16 million, does rule out one thing your Pokemon for 3DS theory that you are sharing an episode or two ago where you are saying, well, maybe maybe the next generation Pokemon will actually be on 3DS and then they do a different one on Switch further down the line. I don't I don't think that's going to happen if they're only expecting 60 million total across all games because Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon together, which are only like half-step sequels, you know, those alone sold 7.5 million since November. So if you have a whole new generation coming to 3DS... I never like, said it was going to be a whole new generation. Or even like... Oh, you thought it'd be another half-step one? Yeah, just another remake. Maybe. 
the remakes like Omega Ruby and Alpha. I'm saying that like at most, like there's no way they're gonna do. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, but I'm just. I saying, mean, they like, already had confirmed the new, gen- the next generation was gonna be on the Switch. That's true, but like it, that was never a question. It right, was just whether remake. they're gonna like bring well, out one more Pokemon game using the same engine for the 3DS. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, because I think, it, sold about 13 million. This, so unless they expect their other games to all flop, because 16 in, million doesn't give them much. Because this engine has only been used for yeah, you're right, Sun you're and right. Moon. Yeah. I mean, I guess Sun and Moon and Sun and Moon too, but. The last engine, um, the Omega Ruby and Sapphire one, that was, I guess, just uh, also two games, X and Y and yeah. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I'm just thinking, like, $16 million in a year, I don't see any Pokemon game making it so that they have that low of sales. All of them would boost it past that, I feel like. But who knows? I'm happy to be wrong on that. I mean, those 72 million people need something. They're buying all the old Pokemon because they have no new Pokemon, so except Detective Pikachu, which they're not buying. So, so I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, 3DS will be interesting to watch. I'm a little disappointed that my prediction didn't come true, but it seems like Nintendo was surprised that it's still selling. So I think they anticipated doing what I thought they were gonna do until they were like, "Wait, why are people still buying this? We might as well support it." So, yeah. and that is the beautiful conclusion to the Nintendo sales. Everything. Why are people buying this? We might as well support it. Nintendo. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap up on news, we have been referring to Kimishima a lot, and I feel like we should probably address how he soon won't be something we refer to much at all because he's retiring. Um, it's triggering actually a whole domino effect of promotions. So the masterminds of the Switch, Shinya Takahashi and uh, Yoshi- Yoshiaki Koizumi, they are now executive level instead of director level, so they got promoted. Um, and Nintendo of Europe, they're the public face Nintendo of Europe, the head of Nintendo of Europe, uh, Satoru Shibata, Shibata, not Shibata, Shibata. <laughs> Shibata. He's uh, he's moving back to Japan. He's going to become the general marketing manager for all of Nintendo. So they're going to have to have a new public face in Nintendo of Europe. And then most importantly, the guy that's taking over uh, Kimishima's spot. This is a lot of inside baseball, I know. But the person taking over Kimishima's spot is the current... Analytical number guy and their current or soon to be former global marketing head, uh, Shantaru Furukawa. Furukawa. I'll get his name down in the next few episodes. But anyway, he, yeah, you don't really know, no one really knew his name when he was first announced. But yeah, he's been a regular on the corporate side. He was like the man who, prior to Kimishima giving all his little PowerPoint presentations at analytic, at these financial analytical briefings, he'd come out. Furukawa and be like, here's all the numbers and just talk through them. So he kind of ran the show from the number side. He was, like I said, the head of the global marketing for Nintendo from about 2016, June-ish up till now, meaning when Nintendo's global marketing got good, when they suddenly were able to convey a message well, when Switch was perfectly messaged and marketed, that was because Furukawa... Wow, his name is going to have a tongue twister. (laughs) Furukawa. Furukawa was at the helm. He was the one that made the Switch marketing as good as it was. I mean, granted, there's tons of people that work under him, and they all contributed, but he's the guy that le- that steers that ship. So that alone gives me a lot of hope, because he knew how to rein in Nintendo and kind of make a very clear-cut marketing message. Not just with Switch, but, you know, they did the um, no play like it or, no, or whatever for 3DS. They had the mobile stuff, everything. That was all him, so... We'll see how he does. I mean, he it's, it's also interesting because he is the first president and CEO of Nintendo who ever grew up playing Nintendo games. 
Like, he has a legitimate love of gaming, which kind of makes him... It's He's more of a business guy, but he's really into gaming, so he's kind of like this hybrid of Awada and Kimishima. Does it feel like Awada didn't like playing games? No, <laughs> Awada was a developer. He loved games. And then Kimishima is a former banker who ran Pokemon Company for a while and now and brought Pokemon to America, I believe. He, he didn't run Pokemon Company. He just brought Pokemon to America. And now you got Furukawa, who's kind of like the game enthusiast that Iwata was combined with the number man that Kimishima was. So we'll see. I mean, and this guy, he's legit for a call. In terms of, like, gaming cred, he name-dropped. He, they're, they're asking about his game preferences, and he wasn't like, oh, I love Mario, I love Zelda. He's like, no, I'm going to help our third-party relations. I love Golf Story right now. That's my favorite game. Golf Story's great. And I used to grow up playing Street Fighter 2 a lot, and I was really good at it. It's like, wow, he's okay. Not even the games for the company mm-hmm. you work for. Okay. But yeah, so he knows his stuff, and he's like Iwata. He's fully fluent. You know, someone is like, um, has become awakened. He's woke. He's game woke. Yeah, he's game woke <laughs> because he read that there's more beyond more the Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. there's and, more than Nintendo just gaming. I mean, they do make amazing games, but yeah, they're not the only. I mean, granted, they're all on Nintendo platforms. Yeah, but and he's also fully fluent in English, like Iwata was. Kimishima was not, as I can attest when I met him, but. Uh, Furukawa is, and I don't think he's going to become the face of Nintendo. I think Koizumi is already the face of the directs, and will stay that way. But, yeah, I think we will see him more publicly than we saw Kimishima. And it's interesting because Furukawa actually was on the Pokemon Company board as well. So Mm -hmm. he's kind of done both sides of the Nintendo world in a way. And he actually spent a third of his time working for Nintendo in Germany. I guess at Nintendo of Europe, and he's been with Nintendo since he was 20. I'm just reading the list of facts now. Mm-hmm. He's been with Nintendo since he was 22, and I think that's actually significant. It's not just a list of facts, but there's a reason I bring that up, which is that a lot of the big-name, well-received, they fully get it, Nintendo employees are ones who have worked there a very long time, ones that came in at a very low level and literally worked their way up through the ranks. And he's been at Nintendo for, since he was 22. He's now, four, he's now uh, I think, 46. And he's literally gone through the gauntlet. I mean, I guess a detour into Pokemon, but he's, you know, he grew up with Nintendo. And the fact that he's so young makes me think not only is he going to stick around for a while and really kind of guide Nintendo through something. Like, he's not a temporary one like Kimishima. We knew Kimishima was leaving at some point. He was always interim. For Akawa, they're definitely positioned to be more long-tail, or long, not long-tail, more long-term. And he knows the inner workings of Nintendo. He's played their stuff. He's worked on their stuff. He's been there forever. So I think that bodes pretty well. Apparently, Kimishima's been grooming him since mid-2016, expecting him to become CEO. So they've they've been prepping this. It is interesting, though, that um, he has this comment. I'm just going to read the comment and be like, hmm, take this how you will. It's kind of ominous to me. I don't think it's intentional, but it's just kind of funny. He's saying that as a member, now as a member of management with Super Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto, I have a lot of respect for him. On the other hand, (laughs) you gave me this look. On the other hand, with this new job that can't just be it, so I expect to say what needs to be said to run the company. Hmm. So he's like, I respect Miyamoto, but I'm going to shoot that guy down if I need to. Which is a little like, oh, that reminds me of Yamaguchi a bit. Like, Yamaguchi ran into him with like an iron fist. I don't think. For a call is going to do that, but it's interesting that he felt the need very early on to be like, I love Miyamoto, but also I'll totally rip him to shreds if he's wrong. It's like, whoa, <laughs> dude, okay. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. It, it'll be interesting. I think the thing he is least prepared for but should be most aware is going to happen to him is he's going to be memed like crazy. Every Nintendo president's memed like crazy. I mean, Iwata for sure. Kimishima very quickly became the guy that loves butts because all of Nintendo's butt things happened after 
like all the oh, yeah. emphasis happened under Kimishima's watch. And now he got, uh, you know, Furukawa, who he already has the bangs that me, that Iwata had from the GameCube and Wii era. He kind of is ready to be memed. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I don't, I, I honestly do not. That's like his baptism or something. Yeah, it's his baptism. I don't expect a drastic change from this guy, frankly, because like when it comes to Nintendo, like you can't really have one dude bulldoze everyone over, and he apparently is known for getting for being really good at building consensus on decisions, which is something Iwata was also pretty good at. So I think with everyone at Nintendo still being big creative forces there, like Koizumi and Takahashi and all of them, I don't think he's going to suddenly pivot Nintendo hard left or anything. But it will be interesting to see what happens, and I'm hoping he's young enough and has witnessed enough to make sure that Nintendo doesn't repeat past mistakes and doesn't do a sort of Wii era hubris that leads to another Wii U failure type of situation. Like, I hope he doesn't see Switch doing well and then just ease off the throttle as a result. So we'll see. Um, but you got, I gotta say, before we get to your PS4, gotta give a Kimishima credit where it's due. Like, he was basically following a blueprint laid out by Iwata. You know, like, launch the Switch, go mobile, IP expansion, like everything Iwata sort of hinted at, Kimishima followed through. He did a very good job, though. Like, he steered Nintendo's ship back to the profits I water promised. He steered them back to, like, dominance in the market. He, even though it wasn't entirely his game plan, he did change Nintendo significantly for the better. Like, the company feels a lot more, like, I don't know, more open now. They seem to be better at listening to feedback and responding to feedback. And I think that's something that I don't think Kimish or I water, like, laid out in the blueprint, but, Kim- but Kimishima made happen in addition to following the steps in a very good way to make sure that, you know, everything I want to envision would come true. So, gotta give Kimishima credit for that. He definitely steered Nintendo during what was quite possibly the most critical transition they've ever had. And he absolutely nailed it, because now they're huge again. Their profits, to go full circle, were up 500%. That's on Kimishima's watch. So, props to that guy. And I am going to miss him, because he was, like, he was pretty um, quiet in terms of, like, his public facing side but he had some i feel like he had some kind of funny things in the q a sometimes and he was a nice guy the one time i met him and again he did well he did what he needed to do so yeah mm-hmm. and he'll, he'll be advising for akawa he's not going anywhere for good he's still advising you know like a non-employee role so much for retirement yeah it's like a semi-retirement well i mean yamaguchi was um advising at water for a long time too basically until he died wow. uh yamaguchi died i mean not water yamaguchi died like five years before or eight years yeah. before but yeah, so that that's up. That's what's up with Nintendo. But now, the moment everyone's been waiting for, the transition to random Sony. I've already talked about what I was playing. That was that was Lab of all you've been playing is PlayStation. So I'm curious, as a Switch Nintendo person, you Angel, what's the PlayStation life like? What's it like on the other side? It's it's pretty good. As um, I was telling you, like on separate conversations, like I mean, you've already. Like, as I've also just kind of hinted at, like, I've already had a PS3 before. I've had a PSP. I didn't always, um... I I think the PSP was my first foray into, like, actually purchasing my own Sony Mm -hmm. console. Obus was the one that first my brother, in case you didn't know. Um, I would hope anyone listening by now. We we, we name-dropped him almost every episode. I wonder how many people have listened and just never knew who he was. He appeared in, like, a few episodes early on. Yeah. But anyway, he was the first one to jump over because actually I don't remember what game it was, but something about the PS3. Maybe a lot of his friends had it, but I know he wanted Wasn't to play it Batman. No, was it one of the Arkham's? Originally, no. Oh, okay. No, he played um P- he played on um, Metal Gear Solid Four, um, and I forgot what other games. But 
Oh, I think it was Little Big Planet. I think that was the game that made him the get most Nintendo good. game is what converted him away from Nintendo. Interesting. Yeah, and then from there you just kind of branch out. Yeah, but I mean, I was always on the cusp of like getting a PS4, but what definitely like pushed me over was the fact that they came, they came out with a special edition God of War one. That's and nice. you're you're a huge that, that's God nice of War and fan, right? Yeah, if it wasn't for the PS the special edition PS4, I probably would have just bought in the game and just played on my brother's Monster Hunter special edition PS4 Pro. But because they made a Rolls God of War, time. yeah. But because they made a God of War special edition PS4 Pro, I would have to get my own PS4 Pro. And you know, this naming scheme makes me realize the 3D, the new, the new Nintendo 3DS XL is not that horrible of a name. Well, it's just PS4 with a Pro at the end. I know, but it doesn't flow well for the for the sake of clarity. Pro S4, Scott Pro S4. Yeah, I'm going to call it a PS4. <laughs> but yeah, that's mainly what pushed me over and. On top of the fact that while I love the Switch, besides Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey, there weren't that many single-player games that I was really looking forward to. Even now, like there hasn't really been too many announced that are like must-plays for me. Where, Funky Kong. No. <laughs> Where on the other hand, on Sony's end, there's a bunch of games that I've been itching to try out, mm-hmm. but I didn't really have the console, and I guess not really having my own. I don't know. Just didn't really get me to buy them. Like I still want to play. The remastered um, Shadow of the Colossus. I want to get back into um, Alien Isolation. Playing God of War 4. I want to play Last of Us Remastered. I want to play the Bioshock Collection. That got remastered also. A lot of Rumor remasters. is Bioshock might actually be coming to Switch. So hold on that. Unless well, I mean, you insist on 4K. Well that and I still haven't played um, Bioshock Infinite. Ah. Also I just realized you don't have a 4K TV. So that, yeah so that doesn't yeah, matter. That's very work. But... I mean, it basically made me read that the PS4 just complements the Switch really nicely. Because, I mean, there aren't that many, like, party, just party games on the PS4 that are, like, worth, that are a must-have that aren't already on the Switch. The party pack from Jackbox are on the Switch. They, I feel like it's just much better of a game on the Switch. We literally played the Jackbox party pack once while waiting in line for one of our, I guess, streetwear drops. It was just mm-hmm. nice and convenient just to have it hotspotted to a phone, and we were all just playing Jackbox, but on the go. And for the most part, when I play the Switch, it definitely does feel like a multiplayer for its console, which is, I don't know, just how I see it, and it's how I bought it. That's how Nintendo sees it, yeah, it, it, like it, Mario Tennis. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. And the PS4 is where I get my fill on these super grand single-player adventures, but... Well, it, it's funny, because PS4 has, like... You know how there's, like, prestige television? Like, Game of Thrones is, like, prestige television versus yeah. just, like, normal shows. I feel like PS4 is, like, prestige games. Yeah. Like, like if you look at some... I mean, Nintendo, you could say Breath of the Wild, maybe. But, like, something like God of War. Yeah, but even then, I guess... After playing God of War and then, like, I played on Breath of the Wild really briefly. Just, like, once just to, like, check on something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, like, I thought God of... I mean, I thought Breath of the Wild, like, looked amazing. Like, it just looks like a really nice-looking game. But every time I go back to, like, a PS4 game, especially, like, God of War, which just came out, like, that game just blows it out of the water. Like, it it just feels almost really underwhelming to go back to the, to well, the Switch. Well, it's like, it's like... Like, I was playing Rocket League. art st- styles. No, just, like, uh, just detail, like, clarity. Like, I, it almost makes everything... Even though um, Breath of the Wild has a huge open world, it makes it feel that much more empty just because mm-hmm. of it. It's, like... Mm-hmm. Like, forests are just a few scattered trees. Like, everything starts to feel more, um, like, someone placed stuff there as opposed to it being, like, a natural 
landscape. I mean, it really is like the Wii 60 thing all over again because everyone that had like you know PS3 or Xbox 360 says, look at these graphics and the Wii's like, I'm a GameCube. Versus, it's almost the same thing, just a couple generations. Versus ahead. God of War where even though there's a bunch of like corridor-y type areas where you can't really run around wherever you want. I mean, you can't climb everything like you can in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Everything is just so, just looks so nice and so detailed and so and lush. meticulously lush that it just looks more natural than Breath of the Wild does, even mm-hmm. though that game is a true open world game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just kind of weird. It definitely, I typically don't really care about visuals, but that does kind of make me go like, oh man, I kind of wish I had gotten Rocket League on the PS4 because after seeing it on the PS4, like I saw some videos of it, and then playing the Switch one, it does look significantly different. But but you do get a, you lose the ability to play it anywhere. You can't when we're at Comic Con bring it to the hotel in the same. Way. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I would still definitely so prefer the, the Switch version for that. But that's why it's a nice. It's nice to have both. Right. I right. mean, these games that I like, even on Monster Hunter, that's basically a multiplayer game. But you're mainly playing it. I mean, alone. You're playing with people online. Mm-hmm. Unless in our, I guess in my situation, I'd be playing with all this, quote unquote, locally. He would be playing on his PlayStation VR, and I would be playing with the TV online, but in the same room. Yeah, online, but in the same room. Is there no local LAN? No. Hmm. That that's kind of the case with a lot of PS4 games. They don't have local. Is there weird latency issues? Even though you're no. two feet apart, because that's to ping the server and then come back. I mean, we did that for Resident Evil Five oh, and okay. Six, and we never really had any issues. Interesting. But Interesting. yeah, so does PlayStation just... do anything besides graphics that make you wish? Like, I wish Switch did this because I mean, <laughs> graphics obviously that one very obviously they're never going to compare. But is there something like Nintendo to I mean, catch up which, on with Switch? Which I mean, with power comes like great games that you kids can't get on the Switch. But like, no, I mean, I mean, just like yeah, I guess I guess that's true. But yeah, like I mean, a game with the scope of something like God of War, like you just can't. It's on the Switch. It and it's a shame because. I wish a game like that was on the Switch. I guess I mean more like, but like, no, yeah, I know do what you do. Their shop better or oh, infra- or I well, don't know. You know what I mean? No, yeah. Well, I mean basically everything. I guess the shop's better. Oh yeah, it's it's huh. it's a lot. Of, I mean, the shop has been established for a long time already, so it has obviously a much bigger library of things to find. But I feel like the categories are just. I mean, there's a bunch of pre preset categories. You have your PlayStation Plus games. You have your PlayStation Plus sales. You have you can start by category. It's basically like the switch but it feels just dives deeper yeah it feels easier to navigate for some reason or just it just yeah it just dives a lot deeper mm-hmm. but what i'm more i guess impressed with is just the the messaging interface and just just the ui not so much um how it looks actually i kind of like how it looks i'm used to it because sony since the psp and ps3 and ps4 they have this instead of having a bunch of like a giant grid of games like you do on the Switch if you go to your expanded mode. Yeah. It's like the initial menu you see where there's one long screen. The crossbar UI, I think, is, yeah, what, it's UX a crossbar. is what they call it. Except they kind of updated this one where you have a crossbar of all your software, and then if you move up, it's all your settings and stuff. Oh, interesting. But beyond that, their friend system carries over from the PS3. It's just the PlayStation Network. It's not you're friending someone on the PS3. You're friending someone on the PlayStation Network. So all my friends I had on PS3 are now on PS4, and even if I'm playing the PS4, it'll still tell me, oh, so-and-so is online, and they're playing this game on their PS3. Frankly, the fact that Nintendo doesn't do that's a little, like, the fact that you're like, look at this cool feature when everyone's like, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that's, is, a, that's, that's like such uh, a basic yeah. thing. And 
even if I'm not playing a game, I could click on said person, send them a message about anything. Now that's just crazy. It doesn't talk. have to do anything to do with the game. Yeah. If I'm in a game, I could send them an invite and they could go to that message and know then load up the game for them if they have it on. Like if you could create parties within the UI, you could like create little chats and parties. I was originally going to say Nintendo's almost there with cross friend, friends across platforms because like Nintendo, my Nintendo is aiming to do that. Nintendo Network tried to do that but didn't. And then Nintendo Network feeds into my... Like, you can friend people from other Nintendo Network profiles you have into my Nintendo. But there's none of the crosstalk. There's none of the party system. There's none of the seeing what they're doing on their Nintendo system if it's different than your Nintendo system. They have a long way to go. But they have that first step, sort of. Yeah. To their credit. Sort of. Like, they are like they have, like... They put a toe in the water, basically. Yeah, it's, it's almost there. But I just, we'll learn more I, pretty I, soon, actually. I know. I, hopefully, it, hopefully it's, it does the bare minimum. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they they said in the briefing we will hear about Switch Online and what it will offer in early May. So by next episode, we will probably be discussing Switch Online and if it's good enough. But everything you're describing about PS4 sounds ideal. Yeah, I mean, it's, will they hit all those check boxes? I doubt it, but it sounds ideal. Yeah, it's a shame, but I mean, that's just, and that's just how it's been for Sony for like the past. Geez, I don't even know how many years. Yeah. I mean, in Nintendo's defense, their online service will be less than half the price and also come with free games like Sony's does, so... Yeah, because, I mean, Sony's... They can um, almost get away with a little less. Like, Sony's PlayStation Plus is... I just paid 50 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it was either 50 or 60 for a whole year. And... But you get huge games for free out of them. You don't just get random Super Nintendo games. Like, this month we got Beyond Two Souls for free and Rayman Legends for free. Oh. Yeah, I have Rayman Legends right there. I've had it there for a long time, but I might get it and actually try to beat it this time. Well, it's just, free, so it's just yeah. a download, right? Yeah, even though I still have the physical disc on the Wii U, right. I'm probably not going to go back to the Wii U. And the no only reason way. I haven't even beat it, honestly, or I guess the only reason I pulled the JSON on it, is because I kind of filled myself up with the endless mode, because Rayman Legends has an endless mode where right. you could just go for the world record. Yep. And I basically just played that. Like for a long time, I invested dozens and dozens of hours, and and you're like curated level design. No, thank you. And <laughs> stop playing. Yeah, and then by the time I was done with it, I'm like, I kind of over this game already. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, besides the console, I mean, the controls is really comfy. They never really figured out, I guess, how to make good use of the the trackpad. But I mean, it kind of bothers me that it has gyro, but they don't use it like they do on the Switch. At least that's something that. I love that Nintendo does right. Yeah, when Nintendo puts a feature in their system, they use it in some interesting way at some point. It took IR on the Joy-Con a year. It took to Labo, but they did. Yeah. And Sony, meanwhile, just like, what can we cram in here? And then they never touch it again. Yeah, but I mean, other than that, I mean, I just love... I mean, I definitely love the PS4. I mean, I love my PS4, but I feel like it's only um, being risen to that level because I have... Because I already have the Switch. Yeah. Like, I definitely... Like, both consoles together just... Pretty much, they complete each other, for lack of a better term. They're it so different. Like I can't really say the PS4... I Actually, yeah, I can't say the PS4 is better than the Switch, and I can't say it's worse than the Switch, because they're just so different. They're complementary. Yeah, exactly. And which it is really, really nice. Is I, 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 love the, I love the fact that there's nothing really similar about them except a few crossover with some games. But even then, like I wouldn't want to play Overcooked on the PS4, even if it had a better frame rate, because it just works better on the Switch. Right. Like... I can't emphasize how much how nice it is to be able to take your console to a friend's house, just take the dock with the switch already inside because everyone has an HDMI cable. Just plug it in, 
to the wall and you're good. So waiting for that angry comment on on the blog post, but like, hey, I'm running on a CRT. Mm-hmm. Like I have red, yellow, blue. So like, leave me alone. <laughs> I don't have HDMI. Well, then they're probably don't. Not I don't know what. Switch I don't PS4. know what. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing listening to this because nothing we talked about they can play. I guess 3ds. I guess you could do Switch and handheld mode. Mr. CRT, yeah. we respect your choice. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, pretty much everyone has HDMI. You could just go plug in. Yeah, yeah I mean, you definitely don't want to be and taking you don't really a PS4. Want to around a giant PS4 because they yeah, are trying. That's it's, the it's one thing big, is Sony yeah. did not try and make this thing compact. It's. But it does have a, a Blu ray player and it still plays my 3D Blu rays while I still have my 3D TV, which is the only reason I wouldn't want to upgrade to a 4K TV. Right. Because 3D's dead otherwise. Yeah. I mean, 3D movies look so awesome. Like, I can't. Tell you that enough, and yeah. just the fact that it's built into the PS4 is just a nice bonus. But I don't know how many of you actually have 3D movies because they don't really make them anymore. Disney still kind of made them, like I think even um they made them up until Moana. I mean, even oh, that's pretty recent. I mean, even Zootopia had a 3D movie. Um, yeah, whenever they came out, I always bought the 3D version. So remember when 3DS was supposed to be so cool because of the 3D effect, and now no 3DS games really use the 3D anymore. Detective Pikachu's 2D only. Yeah. Yeah, what a what yeah, a weird hype wave that was, the three D yeah. thing. And Pixar was um they were making some of their movies in three D, but for some reason the one movie I would have really wanted them to make in three D, which was Wally, because I feel that movie would be amazing in three D. They just never Oh did. man, that would have been. Yeah, it was like a lost opportunity. Wally is amazing as is. But I guess three D is still thriving in theater. That's the only place where every you can still count on it to be on everything. Well every major movie. It's yeah. doing okay. Yeah, but it didn't go anywhere. I thought it would yeah. have. Yeah, it's, it's still doing okay. Because 3D has three D and theaters had this weird like it came and then it kind of went and then it just well I guess, it's just an option. It's basically yeah. It's, it's just, like uh, the premium it's movie just always experience. There, yeah. is, you either have like Dolby Cinema or uh, Dolby Laser or IMAX or Real D or which is 3D or Cinemark like XD like every or 4D where the seat moves like it's all about those premium theater experiences now because yeah. no one wants to see a normal movie anymore because they can just do that at home. So that's why all the movie theaters are ramping up, and that's why 3D is still re- pro- uh, relevant and prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you only have a Switch and you are, like, on the borderline of getting a new console, I would probably recommend the PS4 because there's definitely more. I mean, I still I try to keep up with, like, what, I mean, what games are on all consoles, at, yeah. least, at least, like, high-profile ones. And there are a lot of overlaps between PS4 and Xbox One. But for the most part, I feel there are definitely way more games on I the feel PS4. Like I, would, I, would I feel like I would get a PS4 if I were to... Yeah, it just has way more exclusives and then way more good exclusives that you really want to get and not to mention... I don't feel like there's a bigger install base for them so there's more people to play with. But it also... Does, but that's the thing. It does kind of come down to what your friends have sometimes. like No, it totally does. If you, if all your friends have Xboxes, there's no point in you getting a PlayStation yeah, 4 about exactly. anything online ever. Or if you want to play Sea of Thieves, but... That's the thing. Like Apparently I, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, number one selling rare game but, ever. But I mean, besides that, like I mean, there aren't that many exclusives that hold a huge weight on the Xbox One. Well, that's because Xbox is moving more towards a game. Netflix. Androgyny, Androgyny too. Yeah, like almost all the games are available on PC. There's like, they, and, and that's the thing. Most are... people have a PC too, so it's like if you're I... gonna have a console, you might as well get the Xbox. Get all. I mean, you might as well get the PS4. And get all the games that you can't get on PS4 or Nintendo on your PC. Microsoft as a whole has decided that it, no point. There's no point in exclusivity of services. So Windows no longer has the exclusive, so to speak, on their software in the way they used to. You can get all that stuff on cross platforms. iPhone has all the Microsoft apps now, and Xbox. They're slowly pivoting into being a gaming 
service that you will be able to access on other devices. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be Netflix, but for games. And that, that's how some, that's partly why Sea of Thieves is doing so well, is it was free. Xbox right now has a Game Pass where you get every new release included. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's not why it was number two on the sales chart. Obviously, people are buying it, but there's also a ton of people playing it online just through Game Pass. So, interesting time in gaming. Things are morphing and shifting around. Sony seems to have it locked down on like traditional gaming. Nintendo's got the portable idea on lock, and Microsoft is trying all sorts of interesting stuff. It's going to be a fun E3, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, Definitely. so that I guess that pretty much does it, huh? Yeah. Unless there's anything else about PS4? No? No. Just so. God of War is great. Very different from previous God of War, but that's pretty much it. It's still God it of War pretty. heart. It looks pretty. It definitely, I mean, yeah, even though I said that um, it makes Breath of the Wild feel kind of plain, in, just in terms of visuals, even with, even taking into consideration that they're completely different art style. Yeah. Um, this God of War definitely does feel like the Breath of the Wild of God of War. It looks Because like- all, all the other ones were camera really far back, hack and slashy. This one is almost like story in the front and a closer third person perspective where instead of just hitting the enemies like kind of minus you around and just spamming block your there's more strategy to the combat basically combat evolved yeah halo basically. wait is that the halo slogan combat yeah it's evolved? god of yeah. war combat evolved <laughs> yep 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 so anyway yeah i guess that does it for this episode um you probably thought everyone listening that we were done with the financial briefing talk but guess what there's still the Q&A transcript, and we're going to cover it next episode because, honestly, that's where the more like sneaky, tantalizing tidbits tend to be dropped. Oh, good. Plus, more of the point, we have official details on Switch Online to talk about next episode, assuming Nintendo falls through on their promise of early May. So for all that, plus whatever other news and impressions there are, you won't want to miss our next episode on May 13th to make sure you can know when it ha- – to, to make sure you have access to it or not even access – you can find it by subscribing to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they now call it, on Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on and everything, anything and everything. You can follow us on Twitter at Random Town. Make sure you don't miss it. Also, if you subscribe to us on those services, you will get an alert when it's there, so you don't have to think about it. We'll just pop into your machine full of fun Switch Online information just waiting to be heard. So that does it for this episode if you want to hear any of our individual gaming thoughts on switch online or anything else as the news breaks i am jsr7 on twitter angel is wero w-e-i-r-o underscore o and yeah that pretty much does it so now if you don't mind um i've got some cardboard to fold a lot of cardboard to fold i don't know about you i have cardboard to fold wow yeah that's a lame <laughs>